Hello, friends and listeners. You got another episode of Watch Skip Plus in your ears. We are a movie review podcast where we take on new streaming and theatrical films and we tell you whether to watch or skip. The plus comes from our little bonus review. That's our lifestyle twist where the host and any guests, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we have a guest, will give you a plus bonus review before the movie review proper. And that plus can literally be anything. I mean, an art show, a TV show, a book we were reading, some fancy exercise device. I don't know. It can be anything. I'm joined by my co-host, Justin the Red, also known as the Cinemasochist. I am Cupcake, also known as Machine Gun Jelly. Red, how are you today? Hey, Celeste Stallone, I'm your guest. Screw this Justin guy. No, I'm doing all right. <laughs> I just figured I'd get my Slice Stallone impersonation terrible one out of the way a while. That imitation was herb. That, I was trying to do Statham. I can't do oh, it. I guess I, I was I like know. Statham or Lundgren. Like, oh, I must break you. I need my glasses for this. <laughs> Anywho, prescription. But speaking of Lundgren, Statham, Stallone, we are reviewing Expendables or Expendforbles. I was just I about to say. <laughs> you better call it by its annoyingly dumb clever, name. No. Somewhat clever. Well, now I feel terrible because, like, this is how I fashioned my um, passwords. And so now people are going to get this idea and then they're going to get hacked. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But anyway, so this good is the idea fourth... for a password, not a good idea for a movie title. Uh, amen. So uh, this is the fourth in the we're not going to call it long running because it's not in excess of five films. That's but true. The franchise starring. Ye aging action heroes, uh, Stallone. The past movies have also featured uh, Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture, Jet Li. Not that Jet Li is uh, aging. Was he in this? Yes, he was in one of those. I think he was in one of them. I think he was in the second one. Yeah. And the third, maybe. I don't know. They're so forgettable. I have no idea. Anyway, we are joined by a guest who we are so happy to have back on because the last time that he was on, which I believe was episode 26, where we reviewed the screen life thriller Missing, uh, he was such a joy to have on. Uh, He is definitely part of our tribe, and we are talking about EF Contentment. EF, how are you? Welcome back to the show. Howdy, 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 gentlemen. Thanks for having me back. And based on what you just said before you introduced me, clearly the check came through. And it cleared, and now you're saying these nice things about me. So uh, <laughs> the next one, will, I'll send the next one after this recording. Um, and just to uh, uh, touch on a couple of things you guys were talking about at the beginning, I think I'll go ahead with impressions, Stallone, Lundgren, whoever, doesn't matter if it's good or bad, go for it. This is the time for it. I mean, this is, I'll probably be, I'll, I'll start right now. Hey, do show. Do affordables, whatever it's called. And uh, I don't know if that's Stallone or Lundgren or, or Megan Fox that I just did there. That's yeah. the of it. It, doesn't, it doesn't have to be good. You know, it's like uh, Christopher Walken. People go, I can't do a Christopher Walken. It's like, it doesn't matter. Just do it. You know what I mean? It's fun. So let's have fun because it might be the only fun that we could have involving this film. <laughs> We come to this place for magic. I'm sorry. Ooh, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> that is excellent. You sounded like him. Let's segue. <laughs> We've got some pluses. I will start with our guest, EF Contentment. Do you have a plus? Uh, yeah. Um, I have uh, actually up until this moment, I'm deciding which one. So maybe I'll just do a double shot and just do say uh, 
Uh, yeah, the first one is I finally got around to watching the uh, Talking Heads concert film, Stop Making Sense. Uh, I'd been meaning to watch yes. it for decades, and they re-released it, and they have it available in uh, IMAX. So I went to uh, uh, my local AMC and watched it there, and I had a great time. I, I, I've, I'm i a casual fan of Talking Heads, meaning like when I hear their songs on the radio or something, it's like, I like it. I like their stuff. But I never owned an album of theirs, never bought any of their songs, um, nor did I illegally download any of their songs. And um, <laughs> so a lot of this really did, was a first-time thing for me. And I'm I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan. Their stuffs, their performances are very infectious. That whole film, you just really get into it. It is like like the best case scenario of being at a concert and just having a great time. And uh, it looks and sounds great in uh, IMAX or 4K if you watch it in a regular screening. And if uh, if you if you even if you kind of like their songs, I suggest checking it out. So that's that's like the first half of my uh, of my plus. Yeah, let me just interrupt and, and ask. Um, so I. I, my brother introduced me to the talking heads, but it wasn't until the music video for um, that song, wildlife, the wild, wildlife that, that, and then the movie, I think it was called true stories that I started to learn about David Byrne and, you know, talking heads. But how did you first learn about um, the talking heads? Was it just from the radio or had you, was it the same way with like true stories? All of it. It was radio, actually MTV, you know, as a little kid, I remember my first uh, Talking Heads uh, experience was uh, Burning Down the House, was the music video for that. Mm-hmm. As a kid, that, that uh, still yeah. stuck in my head. So that was the first time. And then I think pretty much at, almost immediately, it was um, Once in a Lifetime, the video for that. Um, so I knew them from the music videos of their work. And then, it again, because it seems so fast in retrospect, but I'm sure it was years apart, but it really did seem like bang, bang, bang. First, it was that song, then it was this song, and then True Stories came out. Wildlife, same thing. I heard that on the radio and saw the video on MTV. Back when MTV used to show videos, back when MTV yeah. used to have, uh, you know, I mean, that's an old uh, chestnut, but it's true. <laughs> it is an old chestnut. I mean, it used to be, that's where I would go for my for my music and music videos. Um, one last thing, I'll let you go into the your uh, second plus or your second half of your plus, but have you been able to listen to or see any of Burns' uh, musicals? I think he's actually got two. One was uh, American Utopia, which I think was uh, aired on HBO Max. And then I believe he did, and I'm blanking on the title now, um, a musical about Imelda Marcos uh, that he did with Fatboy Slim. Um, have you have you listened to any of those or seen any of those? No, this is all um, new to me. I'm actually writing it down. I'm, I'm going to like deep dive into all that stuff, actually, because after this experience, like, oh, yeah, I should really get into like listening to the other stuff and looking at that. I think the only... David Byrne thing I'm familiar with is his contribution to the soundtrack to uh, The Last Emperor, which he did mm. with um, Ryuichi Sakamoto. And um, I'm sure there's one more person I'm leaving out, but I remember liking the score to that, but it's very, very not uh, Talking Heads-like or even Byrne-like. It was just, uh, I- I'm going to look into that stuff. I'm going to look into the uh, the stuff that uh, Tina Weymouth and um, I forgot the other guy's name. Like they did like a, the, well, I already knew, well, here's the other thing. I didn't know that they had a side, uh, Thing, uh, the Tom Tom Club. I didn't know. I, yes. I knew that song growing up. I didn't know that was them. I, I didn't know that was them without David Byrne. And Got they it. performed it during the Stop Making Sense. And I'm like, oh, are they covering the song? And then it wasn't <laughs> until like I'm like I saw on the back it says Tom Tom Club. I'm like, oh, that's them. They're Tom Tom Club. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I guess they need something to play while David Byrne is putting on that ridiculous giant suit 
and with the uh, shoulders yes with the shoulders <laughs> and i even put down i think in my little letterbox review i put like you know what i what we really need to see is a collaboration between david Byrne in that giant suit and george costanza in his big gore-tex suit <laughs> kind of do like a thing together like that I, that i need to see yeah. i would buy that for a dollar yeah. Also, I want to thank you quick because I knew that was coming out in uh, the 4K release. I, for some reason, did not know it was getting IMAX. So I just checked up my local IMAX. They're showing it. So I think I might go check it out because I, I saw the documentary once years ago. That was actually kind of what got me into them. I Similar to you, I probably heard some of their songs on radios and movies, uh, but a friend of mine was really into them. So he recommended the documentary, watched it. And then and then I think right around that time, then their Nothing But Flowers popped up in Clerks 2, which has jumped to being my favorite song of theirs. David Byrne Fatboy Slim musical is called Here Lies Love. And it is basically a disco retelling of uh, the Imeldo Marcos saga. Um, and yes, uh Stop Making Sense is being released in IMAX by A24. So if that is around you, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, we've we've got a recommend from EF Contentment. So, and then EF, you're the second part of your plus. Uh, yeah, I read this book last week uh, called Monsters, A Fan's Dilemma, uh, hmm. written by, I believe the name is pronounced Claire Dieterer. I know it's spelled D-E-D-E-R-E-R. And mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty good. It's What it is, is it's pretty much an essay that she writes about liking artists who are turn out to be problematic so for example woody allen he's probably one he's he's on the mount rushmore of problematic artists that people used to like and now turned out to be a shithead um in her case it's roman polanski where she as a feminist and as a woman she was at first basically like yeah this guy's a monster and then she rewatched one of his more recent films and it's like God damn, that's a great movie, though. You know, <laughs> and, and it's it's a really good essay. It's really what it what it is, where she pretty much goes into that about you know the the awful thing that disrupts the great work, you know, and that and and trying to separate the art from the artist. And she actually, what I got out of it was because really in the end, I thought we were we were pretty much of like similar uh, points of view, uh, Daterer and I. Um, Except I think I was wrong in my approach because I was always, I, I always looked at it as I, I, I always said that I separated the art from the artist, right? What she says, and I feel corrected in this, is that you can't do that. You can't separate the art from the artist. And it, it's, it's impossible, really. What the better way to look at it is, it's like, um, it's a stain, you know, like a, it's a stain that colors the work. You know, it touches everything. We don't have a say in it the way we don't have a say in a a wine glass that just fell off the table and is about to break onto the carpet. You know, it's like, it's going to happen. You know, it's not a choice. You can't, you know, it's going to fall to the floor and that stain is going to start spreading out and it's going to, you know, work its way forward and backward in time, so to speak. So really what it comes down to is, and it's all personal, it's all um, subjective. How much are you like, how much does the stain distract you? You know, it's like, and some people can acknowledge the stain, but still look at that beautiful piece of carpet, you know what I mean? And acknowledge that carpet, you know, be like, yeah, I, I, I see the stain, but I still enjoy this car. I still enjoy this, this painting that has a stain on it. It's kind of like that. Right. And that's really the way to see it. And I think it's, so in the case of Roman Polanski, one person can look at his films, no what Polanski is guilty of and go, yeah, I know that, 
but I still think he's a great filmmaker. Other people cannot. It's like, I can't, it's ruined. I used to love Chinatown, for example. It's just, I'm, that's not my opinion, but like someone could say, I used to love Chinatown, but like, I cannot watch that anymore without thinking of what Polanski did. And I guess her conclusion is really like, again, it's, it's just, it's a person by person basis. And you shouldn't hate yourself for liking the work of someone who is a monster, you know, to use the word that she uses, because she brings that up too. Where it's like monster is such a convenient word because it really makes that person almost like it's not, that person's not human. Meanwhile, she brings up the fact that like, look, we're, that person's very human and so are we, and maybe we're not as bad as that person, but we're all guilty of our own little thing, you know? And um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was very similar to you and I guess still am in that I can se- I always say I can separate the art from the artist, but I like that stain analogy because sometimes you can't whether the with film, I, I think it can be a little bit easier just because what I've done lately is I, I realize it's a collaborative effort. So I can be like, okay, Polanski is a great example. He has the stain on this, but the rest of that carpet is everyone else's work who, you know, still maybe hopefully weren't involved in whatever Polanski, any of his crimes or anything. But sometimes it can be hard. I used to always be somebody when it came to Chris Benoit, for those that don't know, he was the pro wrestler that killed his wife and child and then took his own life. So that had always been a stain on pro wrestling for years. I tried scrubbing him and there were fans that were like, well, I still want to be able to watch his work. I was one of them. And now you can. And for the most part, I can, but what makes it hard was when he, in the nineties, when he was in WCW, his manager was his wife. And there it was a match that I was rewatching where after he put his, his finishing move, the crippler crossface, where he blocks your arm and he rip basically tears on your face, like puts his uh, fists on your face. Uh, he won the match with it, but the whole gimmick for him was that sometimes he was like a loose cannon. He was out of control. He's a rabid Wolverine. So his, you know, his manager comes in like pleading with him to stop. And that like, I couldn't do it. I, uh, that broke me because it's going to get really morbid here. That's how he apparently took the life of his son. So I can't like yeah. knowing how way too close I'm like, all right, I can kind of get with some people like, so I can mostly separate, but if it's him with his wife, usually it's much harder for me. And a lot of times I have to skip over whatever segment, even if it doesn't result in what that one match did. Um, but, but it, it can be very difficult, but I also don't, I don't begrudge anyone anymore that can't separate the art from the artist, but I also don't begrudge someone that can. And I actually am really curious to read this book. Cause I think that stain analogy, I think really makes a lot of sense. And I think works, especially when it comes to bigger collaborative efforts, such as film. Yeah. And she brings up, um, kind of like, uh, you kind of reminded me about something she brings up where it's like, well, like for example, someone like Woody Allen, where, in his case, it's tough also because she brings up the fact, like something like um, Manhattan, where if you haven't seen it or those listening who haven't seen it, Woody Allen's character is dating a 17-year-old girl in that movie. And mm-hmm. and in retros- and at the time, it should have been questionable. But she, even she says, like, back then, you know, even people weren't really, like, that upset about it. And in the, the movie itself seems to be like, why are you being so upset about this? You know, it's almost like mm-hmm. it's in, in a weird way, uh, uh, almost grooming the audience to be like, okay with it. And <laughs> especially now afterwards, um, nice choice of words. Yeah. It's a, 
Yeah, I, I actually, that's one of those words now I don't think I could use anymore because it, it might make someone think like, I can't use the word snowflake anymore, for example, because now people think I might be one of those guys. And it's just like, you know, it's like, this is your groovy snow. Wait, it was Stallone? Did I just turn to Stallone? <laughs> oh, no, you brought out Stallone. <laughs> don't, please, please don't snowflake. stay Stallone. Right. Hey, I fucking love Manhattan. All right. you know, I, I prefer to look at it not as a stain on a carpet, but like a glass table that's made with. I'm sorry. This is the third podcast I've been on where I made that reference. I'm sorry. Oh, that's um, great. But, uh, but no, no, no. Um, she brings that up. She brings up uh, that like it doesn't make you a bad person to ultimately like the work of bad people. Right. And it's just it, it really just comes down to you. You like, are you OK with it? And just because it doesn't make you a hypocrite that you could be OK with one artist, but not OK with another. It's just that for your own personal, you know, your the life that you live, this thing hits you harder than the other thing. This thing you can forgive or at least not look, forgive. You could look past. You could acknowledge and move on past the stain. And this one, no, the stain ruins the work. I have a couple like that, you know, like I'll, and, and it's also why I don't judge anybody who might like someone that I don't for the, for moral reasons, whatever. I don't judge that person. Like I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and out myself where it's like, I will still watch a Louis CK comedy special. You know, I will still watch a Mel Gibson movie if it looks good, you mm-hmm. know, based on their past work. Right. Because so far they haven't done anything that to me makes me go, oh wait a minute, this guy jerked off in front of his in front of women, you know, that he had power over, or, or this and this guy, <laughs> this guy's a real mess, you know. Um, uh, part of it, I think, it also helps that like my personal motto is that everybody is a secret scumbag. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it. But on the other hand, uh. I can't remember the director of the Jeepers Creepers movies. Oh, uh, uh, Victor, Victor Salva. Salva. Victor Salva. I was just about to bring him up right. as an example. Like I was, I knew about his crime going like already for a few years by the time like Powder came out. I remember, and and I was, you know, and I was, I was still fine. I was like not not fine with it. Where I was like, I was able to acknowledge that stain and watch these films because I thought they were good films. And even Jeepers Creepers is where it started hitting me where I. I started getting reminded of it. And then Jeepers Creepers 2 is where I felt it was, you have adult actors playing basically teenagers. And then the way he films those teenagers, it, it, it <sighs> my mind was wired to like what he, and now, now I wasn't able to enjoy that film. And I pretty much like jumped off the Salva train, you know what I mean? Like, so stuff like so, that. So it's interesting you bring up Salva because when we talk about this kind of, um, you know, with me too, and now the cancel culture, um, the cancel culture, um, you know, sometimes their personal history gets inextricably linked with the work itself. So you brought up uh, Woody Allen in Manhattan, and then um, also Victor Salva, and the fact that it was so intertwined into Jeepers Creepers 2 that it was unavoidable by anybody who knew about that personal history. And so I guess the con of this sort of cancel culture and and what, uh, you know, Detterer is talking about in this novel is is the fact that you know, if you dig enough into anything, you're going to find something objectionable, right? We all have these skeletons. And so where do you draw the line? And, and, you know, as my, my example is Bernardo Bertolucci, who I happen to love as a director. And then to hear that, you know, um, uh, Anna uh, Maria Schneider, and then what, what went down on last tango in Paris that sort of came out in the, the me too thing, although it had always been sort of talked about, um, 
And it's like, I, I pulled out Last Tango in Paris the other day to watch. And I was like, oh, God, should I be watching this? And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I love this movie. Like, it's it's right. great. Bergelucci's amazing. And so, yeah, I think it, it really is just personal preference. Mm. But at the same time, y- you dig enough, like, you know, mm. Best Buy, some of their corporate shareholders have donated to, you know, the orange one and stuff. Am I going to stop stop shopping at Best Buy? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. You know, yeah. so it's but and I think it comes down to like he said and she was arguing that it, it doesn't quite make you a hypocrite. It's just your own personal line. And sometimes I mean, it's great that you bring up Salvo because I did not know about that when I saw the Jeepers Creepers films. And I also did not know that until after I watched Clown House, which is the movie where all of his allegations came oh. from. And I yeah. had said to, on a forum because I was on a movie forum at the time. I was like, hey, I just watched this movie because I think it was on like YouTube or something. And I, and I had just said I didn't like the way it lingered. And somebody thought I knew and was just be, like trying to have dark humor. And, like that's when I learned. And I'm like, oh, I feel dirty having watched that movie now like ugh. like i would not yeah. have been able to watch that had i known about it prior because there's no way to escape it you just reminded me of something else like going back to the thing where it's like it's based on the person really your own personal uh, point of view she brings up for example like with the uh like she has one friend uh, a male friend yeah uh, who who's like oh yeah well woody allen like basically artists who have done you know things like that like woody allen or, or louis ck or even worse uh Weinstein it's like look look past that and look at the work and then she has a friend who is like no they should basically have their testicles cut off and you should burn their their work and it shouldn't exist now that friend was uh sexually molested as a teenager mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the way she sees it and the way I see it they're both right you know what I mean it's like mm-hmm. because it's again what your personal experience your life and and it's also going back to what I said earlier it's like why i wouldn't judge anybody for liking the work of someone that maybe i find morally reprehensible it helps that i don't have morals uh but uh but no but (laughs) sorry and i and all i ask is you know if if i like someone that you find morally reprehensible that you know you try to like look but but if it bothers you i get that too you know what i mean it's like that's one less Christmas card I have to send to somebody. You know what I mean? So it's just like, <laughs> yes. is this your way of telling us you liked expend four bulls? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Expend four bulls is the greatest film I've ever seen. <laughs> because you didn't like it doesn't mean I that I have to hate it. All right. This, is, right? this, this podcast, this podcast ain't over. Right? You just don't turn it up. It wasn't my one. You asked me. I don't know. This is okay. That's that is. Amazing. That's too good, right? Oh, was, it yeah, is was... too good. It is too good. Stallone, get out of here. Stop, stop <laughs> dive bombing our Zoom. So just really quickly, just really quickly for my plus, thank you so much for that um, amazing and, and sort of thought provoking. We're definitely going to check out that book and certainly Talking Heads. I think I'm going to gear up my uh, Tom Tom Club CDs. But uh, for my plus, just really, really quickly, uh, I had talked about on a previous episode that as my sort of stress reliever from my very difficult and stressful job was to watch old episodes of the He-Man cartoon. I have jettisoned going through those and I have picked up watching Dark Shadows. And these episodes are now free on Freevee. Fancy that, Freevee. Um, But when I first attempted to go through all of the Dark Shadows years ago, I started only with the Barnabas Collins season which i believe was season two um 
uh, late season two that is, but Freebie has them all from episode one. So I have started, I'm currently on uh, season two, episode 27. So I've kind of been burning through them. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Dark Shadows was like a gothic soap opera that aired on ABC from June 27th, 1966 to April 2nd, 1971. 1,225 episodes. But these things move really quick. It's a it's a 20-minute soap opera once you take out all the commercials. And yes, it's one of those soap operas where two characters can be stuck in a room talking for like five episodes before they move on. So it does move pretty quick. And, and you can kind of veg out and be on your phone doing stuff and just sort of pick up on it. But it's a supernatural sort of soap opera that features werewolves and witches. It was, you know, made into a Tim Burton film. There were several reboots. Um, but I just love it. It's in black and white. It's going to jump to color eventually. This is the creation of Dan Curtis. Um, but what's fun about this is I believe it was filmed live at the time because they couldn't do the sort of like, uh, record it and then broadcast it. I think there was something about that. And then eventually TV caught up, um, in terms of that, but you can literally hear things dropping in the background. You can see boom mic shadows. You can see um, cameramen's heads shadows as they they stream across the set. Um, you can also hear the actors fuck up big time their lines. Uh, so, for example, some of the one of the actors who plays Roger Collins was talking and he was saying, and then the car slid a hundred miles. And then he pauses and goes, "Well, it felt like a hundred miles in an eternity when you're in an accident, but it was a hundred yards." And then I flipped over the wall. So it's just it's fun to watch them like fuck up repeatedly and joan bennett fuck up fucks up a lot she is consistently stuttering and redoing her lines but anyway that's my plus red you've got a plus yes i do uh mine is not a thousand some episodes long because it is a movie uh this is dumb money this is the craig gillespie gillespie directed film uh gillespie Gillespie, he most known for Large than the Real Girl, which was Jose's. He always said if he could have wrote a script, it would have been that one. Is that that perfect one? screenplay? People, that's it. Okay. Perfect just screenplay. Making sure I'm not just shoving that on you. Um, yeah, so you can shove is... whatever you want on me. <laughs> <Hey>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now I'm stumbling. Um, now you are. <laughs> so this Got is him. based on the very recent. I, I knew it was recent, but I thought it happened in 2019. But it actually started right in the beginning of the pandemic of 2020 into the early time of 2021. This it was the GameStop stock issue. This was we had a financial analyst who went on Reddit specifically, but other platforms noticed he had always kind of liked the GameStop stock, and then he had realized that a bunch of hedge fund uh, recipients were basically banking on this failing. If it failed, they would get a lot of money, but if it didn't fail, they're fucked. So he was able to convince a lot of people to invest at GameStop, hiked it up, but of course, Wall Street and that one to fight back. And then there was the issue of, well, does he have insider trading knowledge? Um, a lot has been made ever since the trailers for this dropped. And even since it's been, you know, announced as being made is, is it too soon? You know, I think whenever it comes to real life, life topics, we want to have a, like an unwritten rule. I don't know what it is, maybe five, 10 years, but you want some distance to get better, uh, understanding and foresight or insight. Um, even with the big short, I guess that was like eight years after the whole housing market crash, which I thought it was sooner. Um, and, and I bring up the big short because it's hard not to compare this to that because both are handling financial issues, uh, how it affects the real world and trying to lampoon uh, the Wall Street 
text. The, the big short was just like lightning in a bottle. Uh, I'm glad that the Gillespie didn't try to ape that style as Adam McKay has tried to do ever since he made that movie. Um, but I think some better of conviction would have made this work. Um, this is currently playing in limited release. I saw it because it was Regal's Monday mystery movie. It is going nationwide on September 29th. I had said to Jose off the air when we were talking about this possibly being the movie. I was looking forward to it, one, because I have like some of Gillespie's previous work and I like the cast and I thought, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to cut deep enough, but if it just acts as kind of like a lampooning, it might work. And when it does, just wants to focus on lampooning, you know, the Wall Street insiders and sexy Nick Offerman is hanging out in a pool. Uh, mm. You know, <laughs> there it kind of works, but where it stumbles is when it's trying to show the struggles of, you know, the Joe Schmo. Paul Dano's as the financial analyst is fine. But when you have the likes of like America Ferrara as like a nurse, that the scripting just doesn't really work. It feels false. And that's where it needs to feel true at most. And for me, it just kind of, it was, a if we're using our rating, it was a soft skip. It not entirely successful to steal from Jose. Um, there is definitely some funny moments. Uh, I've grown to like Pete Davidson. If you don't, I don't think you'll enjoy his humor, even though a lot of the jokes are at, at his expense as opposed to him making them. I, I'd be curious to see if they ever try this one again. I, I do think there is the makings of a really interesting story here, and it is unique to see a film that handles what life was like during the early days of the pandemic. I mean, obviously, I know, Jose, you had covered the slasher film Sick from Kevin Williamson with uh, the flick boxer Brian on a watch skip singular. And that was a you know fun little example, but again, probably shows that we're not that far removed yet. That's why we haven't got many movies on that topic, but it's not a bad watch by any means, but it's definitely an underwhelming one. And I think that they just bit off a bit more than they could chew. Um, I always conflate Craig Gillespie who directed I Tanya amongst other um, films with Jim Gillespie, who directed I Know What You Did Last Summer, which they're not the same filmmakers, folks. But uh, no, you know what? I, they could have called I, Tanya, I Know What You Did Last Winter. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not even going to address that. So oh, I'll, yeah. do it for you. I'll do it for you. Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That exactly. is an excellent film, though, I, Tanya, if you haven't seen it. Great Sebastian Why, <laughs> Um I'm sorry, E of Contentment. I, I, yeah, I, I apologize. I completely passed over you. Do you have any comments about either Dark Shadows or Dumb Money or? Well, Dark Shadows, uh, you just reminded me of like, I don't know if they still play it on one of these uh, over the air channels like uh, Antenna TV or, or uh, Me TV or something like that. But I remember they would play it late at night, you know, middle of the night. And I tend to sleep with the TV on. And I remember I, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was just kind of like, just a little moment of just like waking up. I was going to fall back asleep and dark shadows was on, but I didn't know it was dark shadows at the moment. What I, I was still in this, you know, ha halfway through the dream world, halfway in the waking world. And I see uh, Barnabas. And I think this was, I, I looked it up and I found out later, I guess like before he became a vampire and there's a bat on strings, like approaching <laughs> him. And it's him like, no, no, no. And like the bat on the string. And I think you can even see the pole holding the string. Like it just gets like shoved against his neck. And he's like, and it fades to black. And I was, that was probably one of the greatest moments of my life. 
<laughs> just like that, to be like half awake, half asleep and see that and just start laughing. And, and, but because I'm half asleep, I'm also like genuinely half frightened. <laughs> it's just like, but, uh, and I'm sure it's on YouTube, that clip, but I saw that. I was like, oh my God, that's beautiful. And it just, when you said that, I just thought of that immediately. I, be, I bet that. you were like, I've woken up in 1960 and this oh. is what we have to look forward to. <laughs> oh my God. Take, take me back. I mean, take me there. It's not like I was there before. I'm like, I'll take 1960 right now. Uh, oh, and then all right. for dumb money, I'm going to check out either way. I, I am interested in seeing that movie. Yeah. yeah I'd be I curious like to hear Paul Dano. I do like yeah, him as an actor. Yeah, he's, he's great in this. I don't think I've ever seen a bad Paul Dano performance. I don't know if he's capable of doing that. Um, Night and day. I'm just kidding. Was he in that? He was in, uh, so I love Night and Day. I've already talked about my dying, undying love for James Mangold. But yeah, I believe he was in there. He was like the programmer. Okay. Or I remember liking that movie. I just, it's one of those. I, You know what, though? When that came out, I don't know if I was fully aware of Paul Daner yet. I probably saw him in a few things. <laughs> I did love him in, um, uh, what was the one where he was being, he was the porn star. He ended up being hung. Oh, Jesus. The Girl Next Door, which is. Way like hung. At- like between his legs or hung from the rafters <laughs> hung between yeah. his legs. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was <laughs> just... Wait, he was in the girl next door. I forgot about that. Cause that was yeah, the one with he, uh, Alicia he... Cuthbert, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, Emil Hirsch, who is putting up some of the weirdest TikToks. Like he, Emil Hirsch, if you guys don't know him, he's the actor who was like into the wild, etc. speed racer, but he's doing all these weird TikToks where he's working out or then, reciting lines from different films and it's just it's it's wacky i worry about him when i watch i'm, this. I'm imagining I'm, for some reason i was like is he working out talking about how hung paul dato is yeah let me tell you about that paul dato guys and yeah I, and i'm like why, do, why do his workouts involve him choking things out what is that all about? <laughs> 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 all right so that i got a cupcake that brings us Yes, that brings us to our movie review proper which is expendables or ex Ben Four Bulls, which is the fourth in the Expendables franchise. And I will start with some below the line. Our director is a gentleman named Scott Waugh. Um, wah, wah. He is <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my God. He walked right into it from birth. Oh, he is, man. He is stunt royalty. He was born into a family of stunt men, his father being Frederick Waugh Jr., who is most known as the stunt double for Nicholas Hammond on the Spider-Man television show and movies that aired between 1977 and 1979. He also stunt coordinated some of those movies as well. Uh, Sir Waugh um, also was on shows in the 60s, 70s, and 80s and did stunt coordination for shows like SWAT, Planet of the Apes, Heart to Heart. And he was a stunt coordinator on films like Disney's Splash and Shoot to Kill. And then two films for John McTiernan, Medicine Man and Last Action Hero. Last Action Hero, incidentally enough, Scott Wall says that his father was blacklisted as a stunt coordinator after that film because many blamed him and his stunt coordination for the film's failures, which doesn't make any sense. But yeah, whatever. What? <laughs> I know. Um, trying to Wall- figure that leap out. <laughs> Yeah. So Scott Wall, interestingly enough, is a bit of a journeyman. He's acted in films, edited and produced, but obviously mainly followed the family business and has done stunts, second unit and stunt coordination. 43 stunt credits to his name with the aforementioned shoot to kill being his first. 
uh, Nepo baby question mark, <laughs> which his father also stunt coordinated. Um, but this is also, he was a stunt man in the heyday of stunt, the stunt industry where there was nary a CGI effect. And a lot of the stunts were practical. So he'd done films like speed, Waterworld, Sudden Death, Batman Forever, Volcano, Raimi's Spider-Man. He broke into stunt coordination with films like Triple X, Torque, and Showtime's Sleeper Cell series. So Scott Waugh gained some notoriety after direct co-directing 2012's Act of Valor. This is based on a Navy SEAL short he directed, and the film itself starred real-life Navy SEALs. Although, if they go on undercover missions, wouldn't there faces be blown since they're in a movie whatever anyway the film follows them on a rescue mission to find a kidnapped cia agent it was serviceable with some great action i actually saw it in the theater and kind of dug it it's uh one of my husband's favorite action films actually strangely enough after that wall was handpicked to adapt the video game need for speed in 2014 starring aaron paul michael keaton and imogene poots and that was for steven spielberg's dreamworks yes Spielberg was an EP on that film. Who knew? Um, <clears throat> in this particular film, Wall actually opted to do all the stunts practically with little to no CGI. While that film bombed in the Americas, similar to some of the Expendables sequels, it actually grossed a shit ton of money, $203 million against a $66 million budget worldwide. But unfortunately, it would be three years before Wall would direct another film, and that was 2017's Six Below, not the one with dogs. But this one stars Josh Hartnett and Mira Servino and follows a snowboarder who gets lost on a mountain and spends the rest of the film reevaluating his life choices while trying to survive. Yeah. Anyway, well, you know, for Hartnett, that's probably better that than getting hunted by vampires. I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> although there is a Hartnett resurgence going on. Hell yeah. Good, uh, good on late, him. Which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Because he's always been a solid actor. Very cute. Just can't fix his hair for whatever fucking reason. Um, <laughs> that's, okay, his, so, that's his quality. It's his Achilles heel. So uh, 2018 saw him filming the joint international production Hidden Strike, starring Jackie Chan and John Cena. That film, unfortunately, would not be released until this year. And it is now streaming on Netflix. Strangely, the film co-stars Pilo Asbeck, who I find devastatingly gorgeous. And yet I haven't seen this film, but Troy from Not A Bomb, who is a huge Jackie Chan fan, has told me if there was ever a film to skip, Hidden Strike is definitely one of them. So um, we're going to watch it. Yes. And another side note is his brother is Rick Roman Waugh. And Rick Waugh is the director and writer of films like Snitch. Starring The Rock, goes back to wrestling, Shot Collar, which is actually pretty damn good, and Angel Has Fallen. And apparently Mr. Waugh has currently hitched his wheel to Gerard Butler, having directed recent films starring him, Greenland and Kandigar. So our writers for this film are three, Kurt Wimmer, Tad Daggerhart, which is not a pseudonym for Stallone, which we all thought, um, <laughs> and then Max Adams. So... Kurt Wimmer, he has a BFA in art history, and he's worked in Hollywood for nearly 12 years as a screenwriter, although his first actual directorial um, and writing debut was 1996 One Man's Justice, aka One Tough Bastard, which was its original title. I don't know why they didn't release it that way. That stars Brian Bosworth. 
That went straight to video, but his first theatrically released film was 2002's dystopian gun foo film equilibrium starring christian bale and tay diggs which he also wrote it's a cult film and on many a guilty pleasure and not a bomb list speaking of cult cred wimmer's uh all other film that he wrote and directed ultraviolet starring mila jovovich is also quite polarizing with as many fans as there are haters uh, yeah, you uh, keep recently- telling yourself that recently wimmer wrote and directed a reimagining of children of the corn which i actually quite like but people are poo-pooing those kernels out at this time and he also direct uh, wrote the misfits starring former bond actor pierce uh pierce brosnan i almost said i almost said pierce bond pierce brosnan (laughs) which was also the inauspicious return of one rennie harlan it's a horrible film y'all uh, curiously enough, Wimmer's first screenplay was 92's Double Trouble, starring the Barbarian Twins. Yeah. But, but lest you think he's all B-grade action, he has written the screenplays for films like Sphere, The Thomas Crown Affair, which I will rep for. It's one of my favorite films of all time. This is the remake from 1999. The Recruit, starring Colin Farrell and Al Pacino. Street Kings, Salt, which was originally written for Tom Cruise, but eventually rewritten for Angelina Jolie. And he is 100% responsible for the reboot and remakes of Total Recall and Point Break, both of which I find I love and have seen numerous times. Um, The interestingly titled Tad Daggerheart is not a pseudonym for Sylvester Stallone, but he has written only one other feature, and that is Black Lotus, starring world-renowned Netherlandian martial art. Wait, that's not right. Dutch, sorry. Dutch martial artist, kickboxer Rico Verhoeven and Frank Grillo. Max Adams is our other writer. He is the writer-director of 2016's Bruce Willis, Mark Paul Gossler. Yes, saving Saved by the Bell, Mark Paul Gossler, actioner Precious Cargo. And he's also written the features 2015's Heist, with Robert De Niro and Dave Bautista, Extraction, which also starred Bruce Willis and controversial MMA fighter actor Gina Carano, in addition to writing and creating Six, which is the Discovery Channel show about Navy SEALs. Hmm, some synthesis going on there. Um, also, he wrote the pilot for Chris Pratt's uh, prime show, The Terminal List. Our music is by Guillaume Roussel. He is a French composer with 60 official credits, mainly French movies and TV film, but he- films, but he's known domestically for scoring McGee's Three Days to Kill, the NBC joint Euro production series Crossing Lines, the short-lived cult comedy series Happy with Christopher Maloney, the Nick Cage films Outcast and Primal, and he's recently scored the television series, wait for it, because we've mentioned this now on three episodes, Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette, which one? I think we've mentioned every single adaptation of Marie Antoinette at this yes, point. Yes, but this is the this is the television series, the most recent one. Okay, the one yeah. that does get the most uh, referenced. Exactly. And then our DP is Tim Morris Jones. He has one second unit directing credit. That's Matthew Vaughn's Kick-Ass. And for a film with some amazing action sequences, that must have been quite the task. But he has been the DP for music videos for artists like Pulp, Madonna, Prodigy, Robbie Williams, and my personal favorite band, Massive Attack. He was a favorite DP of Guy Ritchie, having shot Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, and Revolver. He also lends Madonna's feature directorial effort, Filth and Wisdom. I bet you guys didn't know that. Michelle Gondry's Human Nature, the Hammer film, Woman in Black, which is notable not only for being the highest grossing Hammer film ever, 
but it was also the first post Harry Potter acting role for Daniel Radcliffe. And he lends the kick-ass sequel, not Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, Tim Morris Jones did, but recently he shot the series adaptation of the seminal 1965 spy film, the Ipcris file and the not entirely successful female cast action film, the three five five written by one Simon Kinberg, who we mentioned because he produced a haunting in Venice. So over, Oh, and, and one last thing, this movie, which we will get to has 35 people associated with producing it either in an EP, a co-producer, or a full-on producing capacity. So suffice it to say, these names should sound familiar if you love B-grade cable action films. I said cable. What the? Oh, my God. I'm so old. Um, Or direct-to-video action films. So we've got Avi Lerner, who is the founder of New Image and Millennium um, Films, Boaz Davidson, who's the head of development for Millennium Films, Jason Constantine, he is a noted genre and horror producer. Saw, baby, saw. And Basil Ewanick, he's an action film producer who also produced Black Sight, which was a film I plussed starring the very sexy Jason Clark. So over to you, Red, with the cast. All of those producers and writers, and this is what we got. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So looking at the cast and crew for Expend Four Bowls, which is the last time I'm going to call it that, giving Fant Four Stick Four a run for its money. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have a couple of returning cast members, uh, starting with Sylvester Stallone, returning as Barney, the leader of the Expendables. Uh, he has been in films such as The Party at Kitty and Studs, Rhinestone, Oscar, Stopper My Mom Will Shoot, Spy Kids 3D, Game Over, and he was in Samaritan, which we covered last year. Somehow these movies have labeled him an action hero. We'll get into that. I don't know. Obviously, <laughs> listen, you can listen to our Samaritan episode. I know I didn't do these full rundowns at that time, but we talked about his actual career. <laughs> that is worth mentioning, even though I do kind of like Oscar. Um, so to save time, there's Sl- Sly Stallone. Returning as Lee Christmas, haha, his name is Christmas, uh, is Jason Statham. And you can go listen to our Meg to the Trench episode, where I will tell you in that episode to go listen to our Fast X episode to hear his resume. <laughs> Uh, returning as Gunner is Dolph Lundgren. Uh, must break you. He started in films after uh, being a intelligent. Uh, I think it was a chemist, was it? Or I've, I've I I think it's and en- I want to say it's and en- chemistry and engineering. Yeah, chemistry and engineering. And I know he was. Uh, I think he might have even been with the Olympics. But I know he was obviously an athlete, and that's how Stallone discovered him. He played Ivan Drago in Rocky Four, and that started an action movie career for him, including portraying He Man and the live action masters of the universe. So tying it back to your love of He Man, there, Jose. He also love portrayed it. Frank Castle in the first adaptation of the. Punisher back in 1989, I believe it was. He did films such as Red Scorpion, the very fun showdown in Little Tokyo, Dark Uh, Angel, aka I Come in Peace, Cover Up, Blackjack, Silent Trigger. He popped up in Johnny Mnemonic. He was in the more recent Universal Soldier uh, sequels, starting with Regeneration. Uh, He was in The Package with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, hell yeah. I was in the first (laughs) Expendables and they killed me off, the sons of bitches. Uh, (laughs) He was in Shark Lake, Don't Kill It, Kindergarten Cop 2, which, yes, the Cinemascus in me has seen. And recently in Aquaman and returned as Ivan Drago in Creed 2 to coach his son to fight Creed. 
Creed's son. That's uh, yeah, it's a whole family. It's Nepos, you know, these damn Nepo babies. Nepo baby. <laughs> the Creed 2, by the way. The, the Creed, Creed 2. The Creed 2. Returning as Toll Road, which sounds like a character from a G.I. Joe movie, and I know that was the point, is Randy Couture. Uh, he is a former MMA fighter turned actor, starting with the 2006 football film Invincible. He would do the Rob Schneider comedy Big Stan, Red Belt. He took over as the Scorpion King and Scorpion King 2. He was in the underseen but very good stretch, which stars Patrick Wilson. He's apparently in some movie called Three Geezers, and that ends with an exclamation point. That's going on the Monday Masochism possible streaming list because there's no way that movie's good. Uh, Range 15, <laughs> and then just a whole bunch of direct video actioners with titles like Range 15. And recently he popped up in Outlaw Johnny Black, which is the long awaited follow up. Uh, not that it has any connection, just obviously from fan peoples of Black Dynamite. Joining Which the Randy cast- says is a miserable visual experience. Uh, I have heard the best, the, <laughs> the most co- complimentary of her is that it's okay, but way too long and, un- and disappointing. So I'm still curious about it. It didn't play near me. I could have traveled, but I did not. I'll wait for it to hit uh, video on demand. Joining the cast uh, are apparently... The future of action, if that's how we're going with uh, bringing these people in. Megan Fox is Gina, Jason Statham's love interest, and possibly like the the newest leader, possibly of the Expendables. Uh, she was most known for the Transformers films, the first two of those. She was in the two Michael Bay produced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. She was in Jennifer's Body as the titular Jennifer so Body. Good. Jennifer's Body is amazing. If you guys have not seen it, written by Diablo Cody, it's fantastic. I did watch it a couple years ago, and while I wasn't completely on board like a lot of people are, I do think it is worth checking out, and she is actually good in it. Um, This is 40, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, which was probably the working title for this movie. Uh, Jonah (laughs) X, Passion Play, The Dictator, Zeroville, and then recently, uh, well, she was in series such as Hope and Faith, which was one of the things that she got her career started on, as well as a recurring role, New Girl. And then re- recently, she voices the character of Natara in Mortal Kombat 1, which is not the first Mortal Kombat movie, but it's kind of like a reboot of the franchise. So I decided to call it Ro- Mortal Kombat 1. Between that and Expend Four Bulls, I'm really fucking hating these movie titles and game titles and titles in general. All right, I'm okay. <laughs> also, the first Purge. I'm going to remind you about the first purge. Oh, it's no, <laughs> trust me. It's coming back. I, I, <laughs> there's a connection. Just you wait. Okay. Um, portraying easy day is Curtis 50 cent Jackson, famous rapper who got his start in his biopic, get rich or die trying, which was definitely trying to cash in on the success of eight mile. Uh, he would then go on to be in films such as righteous kill home of the brave 13 set up crossfire, Fire with Fire, I believe both of those had Bruce Willis. The Frozen Ground, that was the iffy uh, murder mystery set in Alaska with John Cusack and Nicolas Cage. Escape Plan and its subsequent sequels, so he has worked with Stallone and also, I guess, Schwarzenegger, just not in these movies anymore. Spy, the very funny Spy, Southpaw, and the very funny, very, very funny, and I wish this thing didn't bomb, Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Uh, oh, so good. Uh, <laughs> Joining as Marsh, who is, I guess, the the boss to Sly Stallone, basically, to Barney, is Andy Garcia, very noted actor, starting in the 80s with films such as The Mean Season, Eight Million Ways to Die, The Untouchables, Stand and, stand and Deliver, but I wrote it as Stand and Delivery, which is, that's, that's what he stand did. Stand up delivery. That's what he didn't become a teacher. He became a pizza delivery driver and was just inspiring all the cooks. Uh, or, or a sexy obstetrician. 
I'm going to write that movie. Stand-up <laughs> delivery about a sexy obst- obstetrician. Godfather Part 3, which netted him an Oscar nomination. Dead Again, When a Man Loves a Woman. Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Night Falls on Manhattan. Hoodlum, Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven films. Twisted, Smoke and Aces. New York, I Love You. Beverly Hills Chihuahua. There was no way I wasn't going to mention he voiced a dog in that. Rob the Mob. Let's Be Cops. Kill the Messenger. The 2016 reboot of Ghostbusters. Passengers. Geostorm. Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Wrath of Man, which starred Jason Statham. And I recommend, actually, it's a pretty solid little film. And then the HBO Max remake of Father of the Father of the Bride, but I wrote Father of the Bridge, which, all right, he's an architect, I guess. And the makers uh, of Stan and Delivery. <laughs> Stan and yeah. Delivery. I should be typing these really quick sometimes. And then he was also recently in Book Club, the next chapter. Uh, joining as Lash is Levy Tran. She was in Fast and Furious 7. This is where it comes back. She was in the first Purge, which is actually the fourth Purge movie, but it's a prequel, which is about the first Purge event that take case. I hate these fucking titles. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> Female Fight Club, Secret Headquarters, and the MacGyver reboot, as well as Haunting of Hill House series. Jacob Scipio as Gallen, who, if I was correct, is supposed to be the son of Antonio Banderas' character from Expendables 3, uh, but I didn't care enough to actually research that. I'm just guessing. (laughs) He was in recently Hunter Killer, The Outpost, Bad Boys for Life, which, not a bad title, but that would have been better for the fourth Bad Boys movie, because then you could have actually used the number four correctly in a movie title, unlike Expend Four Bowls. So, again, annoying titles. Without Red hates these titles, y'all. I fucking do, man. I really do. (laughs) This is where my anger is coming from in this episode. Uh, Without Remorse, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is excellent in the series, such as Pieces of Her and Dixie. And also, he voiced a character in the UK dub of or UK version of Bob the Builder. So imagine coming from Bob the Builder to Expendables. Uh, Amazing. Tony Ja is Decha. Uh, he is most known for Ong Bak, the Thai warrior and the protector films, both of which high school Justin fucking loved and would not stop repping to people. So he was high school Justin and current day Justin has thoughts on his usage in this film. Uh, he also did Warrior King 2, Skin Trade, Fast and Furious 7, Never Back Down, No Surrender, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, Master Z, The IP Man Legacy, Triple Threat, Monster Hunter, Jiu-Jitsu, and Detective Chinatown 3. And then lastly, joining us, and I forgot to actually write his character name down, but honestly, these character names don't even matter. But as the villain of the whole film is Iko Uwais, most known for Marantau, which I only say it that way because Dr. (laughs) Zom of Silver and Gold always goes Marantau, and I can't say it unlike Marantau now. That is an excellent film, though, if you haven't seen it. He was also in the Raid films, which are fucking amazing. Man of Tai Chi. He actually was in Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. I forgot about that. Headshot, Beyond Skyline, Mile 22, The Night Comes for Us, Stuber, Triple Threat, Blue Assassins. So that will bring us into our spoiler-free review. So I'm going to send it over to you, We have Contentment, because I need to recharge my batteries after really getting upset over fucking titles names. What are your spoiler-free <laughs> thoughts on Expendables 4? Or I'll say one more time, Expend 4 Bulls. Um, I enjoy this work, man. Um, and I look forward to seeing how the final version looks with all the uh, temporary CGI placeholders <laughs> replaced with completed effects that would are that are deserving of a of a Hollywood uh, big budget film that would play in theaters to <laughs> supposedly, you know, hopefully millions of people. Uh, oh. That that's that's uh, that's that was like my the first impression oh. once the end credits came up. And going back to something, um, Hick was mentioning about 
all the uh, producers, you know, there were like, I think it was like 30 producers, like I counted. And I, and I looked at all those producers and I went, oh, that's why the CGI sucks. It's like all the money went to these guys, you know? Yeah. They, um, their side chicks need Jimmy Choo's, you know? And it's like, <laughs> and, and some of those side chicks are credited, I'm sure, as executive producers. That's, that's part of the deal, you know? I mean, I, I don't know how much more you wanted me to say right now. Like, I, I otherwise I don't want to go on for like twenty minutes. And then it's like, no, I just asked you what was what was your overall opinion, you know? And it's like, I'm giving you a whole thing. Um, the action is decent, um, and some of the shots and the stunts do look cool. But going back to the CGI, most of that is hurt by relying on that shoddy CGI. Uh, that kills half of the fun from some of this stuff, and then the other half is killed by fight scenes that again you get guys like tony ja you get guys like uh, i'm gonna call him the raid i don't know how to pronounce his name but uh <laughs> Ico, 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 whatever his yeah. name is I'll, I'll get they they um you get these guys and of course they do this thing there's this uh western hollywood filmmaking thing of like let's film them up close and jitter up the camera mm-hmm. uh as opposed to actually show i i understand doing that for megan fox and uh jason statham because they're not martial artists, but when you do it to these guys, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's a it's crime. It, it is. is. It's a crime. It's a crime. It, it, and and, and so you know weird. what? Based on the box office of this movie, at least Scott was going the movie jail, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, he's, he's, he's going to be its sole occupant for the next <laughs> decade. Yeah. What's so weird about that is I feel like even though they use it a bit on some of those other actors, like said Megan Fox and Jason Statham, I don't feel like they get it as bad as Ja and UI did. And I do that doesn't make yes. any sense. Why is it not the opposite? It's almost perverse. Yeah. Yes. And uh actually I, I could have used I could have used some more uh perverse stuff in this movie. It could have been more uh enjoyable. Look, I didn't hate this movie. I was just, I was just very disappointed in it, son. I was just very, <laughs> it was just, uh, cause here's the thing. I, I'm a fan of this series. Like I went to see each one of these opening weekend, uh, with friends back when I had friends, we would go see these and be, uh, and, and like pumped up for it. Like totally like, and not even like in a, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm over, I'm standing over it or I'm superior to it, like to goof on it. Like as like, a 12 year old, you know, I, I, as a, as a kid, as a child of like the eighties and nineties going to see these guys and, and just giving myself to these movies and enjoying them. And people would like talk about them, you know, uh, crap on them and crap on me, call me vile names. No. <laughs> and, uh, they, they, they would just, and, and I'm like, you know what? I, I enjoyed it, you know? And, and, and I go into this one and I'm, well, here's the other thing. It, it doesn't feel like an expendables movie. Mm-hmm. This, uh, that's the other thing that it, it it feels, I mean, they all feel like generic DTV movies when you get down to it, but they had this vibe to them. The, the idea being, well, here are these guys that you know from like 80s action movies and 90s action movies and even 2000 action movies. And they're, they're come to, they've come together to kick ass and they do a bunch of dad jokes, you know, and it's like, and really like cheesy, uh, uh, you know, references to their older movies. And I was totally there for it, you know, and this one doesn't have that tone at all really there's some of it there are hints of it there's like two or three different movies going on here uh, uh battling it out for supremacy you know one is the generic dtv actioner uh the other is something that kind of feels like the previous expendables and the third is like a kind of parody of itself like there are moments here where i'm like wait are they kind of goofing on the movies here and if they are do they know that they're goofing on the movies here because like it, it's it's i don't know if it's self-parody or just 
totally not understanding how ridiculous they'd be. Yeah, I too loved this series in in some ways, right? I mean, th- as the sequels went by, there were sort of diminishing returns, but but the first film, Red is very serious, right? Um, and then the other two films, they sort of leaned more into the, um, you know, this is just a fun actioner with fantastic action stars, right? Right. Did you think the return to seriousness was sort of a, a good thing here? And how did you feel about the chemistry of these new members being injected into um, the the uh, sort of diminishing number of the uh, previous Expendables cast? Uh, so of the uh, going back to the you're right, the first one had a bit more serious tone. I remember, I mean, uh, Mickey Wark has this like Oscar style uh, uh monologue or uh, in the movie where he's like i think he's even crying during it mm, like yes <laughs> and and it's like but i think as someone who feels expendables 2 is where they got the porridge right you know i felt this expendables 2 to me was exactly what i wanted the first one i enjoyed but i was like oh man like i mean they're almost there part two was like no this is exactly what i wanted three sort of dips its toe back a little bit into seriousness here and there, but otherwise it still has a tone of part two. So as someone who feels part two is, well, is my favorite. Um, I am not a fan of them going back to something closer to one uh, in terms of a bit more serious. And then the second question was about the chemistry with the uh, new people with the yeah. expendables. It was fine. Honestly, actually I, I didn't. In fact, I would have liked more of it than turning into the Jason Statham the anonymous Jason Statham action movie for like a third of it. Um, I, I, if they had more time to do stuff, it would have been all right. Again, I'm not saying it was great, but I w- I actually was entertained by, for example, the stuff with Randy Couture and um, uh, Levy Tran, for example, like it's, it's, it's dumb and you've seen it before, but, but it worked. And I actually was surprised like how much I like Couture in these movies uh, I, I like the whole like every time someone asks him about the ear and he goes into this, oh I'm glad you asked me that question well when you're I, I wrestling did. and your ear and all this I, I I went for it and I dug it and I like that in fact those were among my favorite moments were when Couture had a moment or when Lundgren had a moment because that felt to me the most like Expendables too um, and but as far as um the new guys Fifty Cent is fine like a he's fine no no he's 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 good he's uh no he's fine uh he delivers his dialogue and his punchlines adequately but honestly i didn't feel he brought anything to the table aside from being a generic black character because terry cruz probably asked for too much money you know and and uh and speaking of asking for too much money i guess antonio banderas wanted a little more uh, he was like hey dude uh, you got to pay me puss and boots boots money for this so instead <laughs> they i guess they hire you know antonio banderas's non-union british equivalent uh <laughs> and uh, to do an impersonation of him and and but here's the thing i love that i actually like that that actor uh tony c3po or whatever his name is and and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. See, I got to provide the Expendables dad jokes here because oh, the movie yes. didn't. Yeah, um, you're doing it much better than the yeah. writers did. And uh, I actually got a kick out of him. I got a kick out of just him. He plays Banderas' son, Galan, and he's just doing an impression of him the entire time. I got a kick out of that. And I'm thinking, look, I I, I would have been fine if they had more of this. Yeah. Instead of an indistinguishable Jason Statham action movie, which again, we'll get into that with in the second half of spoilers, but there's a reason for that. Um, 
they were okay. Megan Fox, okay, you know. But so I didn't dislike them, is what I'm saying. I, I thought they they were okay, and if anything, I would have preferred to see more of them in it. Got it. Uh, red. Yeah. So honestly, <laughs> you're actually pretty much right on where I'm at with this EF. Uh, I know we've mentioned Troy did not like this. He hated it. And quite a few other people have, and I didn't come out hating it. I just came out being disappointed. I enjoyed the other three movies to varying degrees. They are kind of forgettable, especially at third one, but in the moment they're fun, you know, as these cheesy throwbacks. And as I was trying to figure out like what maybe went wrong and like you were getting on with the different tones, I think it was actually, I stumbled upon like Owen Gleiberman's review for some reason. And he had said, gone is the feeling of this being like a throwback to eighties, almost canon like action movies. And it's more representative of what the modern day shaky kind of cam directed video action movies are. And I'm like, that I think actually kind of hits it because it's not like you said, it really doesn't have that good of a balance between the two outside of maybe some of the cheesy dad jokes. And even then they feel less expendables and more just something you would see probably in one of these Randy Couture ice or ice tea or 50 cent. Well, maybe ice tea. Ice at, tea. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I that's right. Put me as an expendable. I won't be. Expendable <laughs> I, I would love him in the expendables. Actually, I, I surviving the game from the nineties is amazing. Uh, and I still haven't seen it, but I heard Bean guns is fun. But or if 50 cent action movies, oh, it's not. Well, never mind. I won't maybe not see it. Um, but then again, you like ultraviolet. So who? No, I'm just kidding. Hey, hey, hey. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, I like ultraviolet, too. So that makes two people who actually oh, like right. that. Movie. Yes, so you are bitches. outvoted. You are outvoted, Red. Fine, anyway, go ahead. go ahead. You guys can be ultraviolet fans all you want. But yeah, I just I came out of this going. Eh, it was there. The, the the biggest crime it has, well, outside of really just underutilizing and wasting Tony John Iguiawai, and I did go back and edit my uh, capsule review because I only singled out Tony Ja, and I love Eco as well. But as again, high school Justin, that's what got him into a lot of those types of you know movies. Or I was into them already, but got me to see some of the more modern stuff. I fucking love Tony John. I, those protector movies, especially that first one, I just think is magnificent. So I was excited. And when they brought him in here, I was like, all right. And then you get to the fight scenes and it's just like we said, they're, they're not handled well at all for those guys. And it's really weird because you know, they're in here for the international box office. And I can't imagine those international markets are going to be happy to see their stars minimalized, but I digress. But yeah, the issue is the, the on paper, the carnage is fine. Like it's, they're definitely like, Hey, we're back in R rated territory. So we're going to have a lot of more blood and it's dismemberments and stuff like that. But the issue is the effects still, I, I said dodgy in my capsule review. That's too kind. They're really bad. The, the CGI here, the, we need squibs because the CGI blood looks bad. Even green screening. I, I don't always take notice of this as well as Jose does, but there's a, the action sequence in the beginning where Jason Statham is in like a tank gunner, the green screen behind him is abysmal. And I, I saw this on like the biggest screen in my theater. So I don't think that helped matters, but I'm like, this is bad. Just keep going back to the wide shots. Cause they at least look, you know, believable. Those some of that green screen was oof rough. And really I can't tell you too much about the action coming out of it. And, and sometimes that's not a bad thing, but there weren't as many good fun vibes as the other movies had. And this is a really curious one because I agree. I don't think the new cast is really that bad. I think they're fine. Megan Fox maybe occasionally has a moment where she doesn't deliver the cheesy lines as well, but I blame that more on the writing and direction than her. And 50 Cent, who went from like, I thought he was awful on Righteous Kill. He's fine in this. He's manageable. Like he's, you can tell he's done enough work in front of the camera and in movies now that he's comfortable enough on screen because that was the biggest 
issue, I think, with Righteous Kill. Um, but I just didn't think that their chemistry altogether worked all that well. And I think it's just going to get shortchanged. And we'll get to it with, with the spoiler section. But this movie doesn't know what it wants to be. Like, it wants to be, okay, we're an Expendables movie that's going to build up the future. Well, you already tried doing that with Expendables 3. And that one had a lot of more younger talent. You know, your Ronda Rousey's in that, who at the time you could feasibly see as being the future. I'm sorry, who is seeing Megan Fox and 50 Cent as the future of action movies right now? That doesn't check out. Maybe Levy Tran, and I don't know about J- Jacob Scipio, but at least I can see them because they're up and coming. But like the what Megan Fox and 50, what this isn't 2005 or two, you know, it's such a confusing movie. And it's just for me, the fact that I didn't hate it, like I think Troy and them did is maybe more of an indictment because I came out not really even having that much passion or anything behind it. At least if I hate a movie, I come out feeling something here. I just went. I chuckled a few times. Some of the action, if it was handled better, was decent. I'm glad that the 10 other people that somehow made it to my screening, including one guy who came in an hour late, which in this movie, you're not really missing much. But at that point, the theater had show times every 30 minutes for this because they really thought this was going to do well and it did not you could have gone to any of those other show times i don't get what this trend is of coming into movies way late but i digress i'm glad they had fun i just came out going well at least it was short because this thing i think was only a little over 90 minutes if that it wasn't two hours i can tell you that right now i think it's like an hour and 40 yeah and I, I think without the credits i think it came out to like 90 some so but yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's a skip for me I, i don't the thing I'm most angry about is putting that four in the title, though. I'll give them some credit. At least a four mostly looks like an A, even though the film I'm going to bring up is vastly superior to it. And at seven, I still don't understand how a seven was supposed to look like a V when a seven looks more like an upside down L. So your title was a seven and in uh, fucking stupid. Uh, but this is that- what you hated the most about the film. <laughs> <laughs> apparently what's the thing i've gotten most riled up about i could say that I, but again i didn't hate anything about this but if anything that's worse because at least if i hated i would have felt something here this was just i think i saw our friend randy had posted in troy's takedown of this movie that this felt more like a sci-fi movie somehow like if sci-fi got into action movies instead of making shark movies i'm like yeah kind of i see where he's coming from so the effects are definitely sci-fi channel yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. there's 100%. bullet holes in glass when people <sighs> shoot at glass and it's this generic bullet hole that just pops up on on the <sighs> on what's it, it was embarrassing i yeah, it, i'm like how, again this money was going to the producer's mistresses and because you couldn't get that that again i felt I felt offended. It was almost like it's almost uh, cynical filmmaking where it's like, look, they're going to eat slop. Let's just give them slop. Like, yeah, they, listen, those moments. I'm there, sorry, go ahead. there are self-taught digital animators on YouTube yeah. who can do better visual effects than what was in this film. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. That that part I did hate, and it's abysmal. And like, if this movie were a parody, like it seemed like it was trying to do, then I think that would have worked. But it never fully goes into parody territory, and I don't think that they were. Even if they did, they were smart enough for that to be a parody element. But oh god, it's that that part I did hate. That definitely hated more than expend four bulls, even though I fucking hate that name. <laughs> it's like so, hey, at least at least the special effects guy behind who killed Captain Alex got some work on this movie. Yeah, <laughs> for real. I, 
At least that uh, movie was more fun though and had heart. You know what? I am <laughs> going to watch that one now. So sadly, we've spent a lot of time on the careers and resumes of everybody behind the camera. Um, so I'll just make this really, really short for everybody. Spoiler free, Expendables 4. I fucking hated this movie so yes. much. Okay. <laughs> easily, easily the worst thing I have put inside my eyeballs in the last five years. And absolutely the worst fucking movie of 2023. Hold up a second. This coming from the guy who has seen Love on a Leash. That's right. Actually, okay. I would rather watch Love on a Leash than this wow. again. This okay. movie is, it is so absolutely terrible. Everyone, and I mean everyone, is acting like they're in a completely different film. The story is half-baked. It's it's terrible. There is a uh, plot twist, if you want to call that, because nobody was buying it, that happens. This is essentially not an Expendables movie. It is, as EF Contentment has said, it's a de facto Jason Statham actioner, much like The Meg 2 was, which also, if we're talking about sci-fi, The Meg 2 was very sci-fi-esque mm -hmm. in, its, in its feeling as well. Um, the dialogue is stupendously terrible. 50 Cent and um, Randy Couture, who I actually think is really fucking sexy, even with his crazy ears or whatever. I want to lick the cauliflower ears. Okay. Yeah. I think he's really sexy. <laughs> I don't want to, I'm not kink shaming, but that just threw me off there. <laughs> I don't know. When he was like, do you want to feel it? it? feels really hard. I was like, yes, please let me feel it. Well, it's not the only thing that's hard. Yeah. I was going to uh, say. I know. Oh, I know. Although I've heard <laughs> other things about anyway, uh, <laughs> but, but Couture and 50 cent, their jokes are terrible. They have no chemistry together. They are essentially just exposition, right? Mm -hmm. So, in this movie, if you watch the two of them, they will provide exposition or the reasons why people are motivated to do stuff in like three or four scenes. Um, Megan Fox is seven syringes away from looking like Madonna. So if there's <laughs> going to be a biopic, let's cast her. But she is like not even nails on a chalkboard. She is like having my fingernails ripped off. And there was a time where I loved Megan Fox, where I would defend Megan Fox, but she is such a harpy in this role. And so trying to play it like Sharon Stone and basic instinct, but coming off like a high schooler in a terrible student film. This movie is abysmal. The effects are terrible. Scott Waugh, what the fuck are you doing? You're a stuntman. You know how to shoot these things. You and your family have shot action films before, and every action film is terribly shot. It's too up close. We don't get to see the, the stylings of Tony John, Eco, UI. It, it's just awful. It's abysmal. And then it turned into the Titanic with a shimp, uh, <laughs> a, a, you know, sinking battleship that turns sideways and people are sliding. I did get a chuckle out of the dead bodies to just go sliding <laughs> the frame when that happens. But yeah, none of the fun of any of the expendable movies. Um, it's just, it, it is utter trash. And I have to really rethink how I felt about active valor or even need for speed, which I kind of enjoyed. And Kurt Wimmer, I, I follow him on Instagram. I'm not going to tag him in this post because I don't want him to hear this. 
but I used to be his biggest supporter. Um, Ultraviolet, even the Children of the Corn remake, I found some good things in it, and everybody hated that fucking movie. And now I'm wondering whether I could ever defend Kurt Wimmer. Well, going first back, off, going back to you know the evil thing that stains the entire career. I was yeah. about to say, have you not learned anything from that stain allegory? I know, uh, I know. It, well, guess what? This is Kurt Wimmer's stain, well, and I may not be able it, to get past it. It is possible, considering there's three writers, that maybe whatever Kurt Wimmer wrote is barely on screen. So I'll try to give him that out. Well, this is true. Yeah. Daggerheart and Adams are the writing duo that worked on um, Wimmer's script. But yeah, I fucking hated everything about this. Dolph Lundgren with his wig and <laughs> oh my God. the, the eyeglasses so and stuff. Like I, I would have been fine with them joking about being too old for stuff. Um, we've talked about this before. No time to die was about aging spies. We've reviewed other films where people are aging and they're not quite like they used to be, but nothing in this works. And as I said, everybody's acting in their completely separate film and whatever film Andy Garcia is, is making, <laughs> I want to see because yes. he chews the scenery in a way where it looks like he's in on the joke and he's having fun. And he clearly has the best line, which we will get to in, <laughs> in, in the spoiler section. And actually, when we get to that, I'm going to say that's what this movie feels like. Uh, Garcia's memorable line. That's what this feels <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. And, and I just, it, it is steer very clear from this. It's a hard skip. I, I did get the vibe that Andy Garcia was doing this for a paycheck and is professional enough, but also clever enough to be like, no guys, I'm in on the joke when really he's just making fun of the whole production in his performance. And yeah, yeah but it's, I mean, I guess Andy Garcia makes more sense than Kelsey Grammer in Expendables 3. This series has weird casting. Like, I don't it know has, how. Yeah. They, I, he must have turned it down. How has Kurt Russell not appeared in any of these? Do he yeah. and Saloon not get along since Tango and Cash? Because I feel like some of these roles, Kurt Russell would have been perfect for. No, he dodged a bullet. That's, well, that's what happened. Also, also, back to EF Contentment's point, if you cannot cast Antonio Banderas, please don't give us a janky imitation of him. Like, not that just, just was too... It was. I like that actor, too. I think he's adorable. By the way, he's from Guyana, which is not... Spain, which is where Banderas is from. I know he, I know Guyana's South American, but still, I just it, it felt like they were foisting something on us because they couldn't get and Banderas, yeah. so they just get this pale imitation. And, and it I, was it made me two sick. things that were so bizarre about that. One is the third is the least favorite of most people, so I don't think anybody cared that you couldn't get Banderas back or replacing him. Not nothing against Banderas, he was fine in three, but two. This is the only thing I'm going to spoil in our spoiler-free section because it's not really much, but there was so they present him as like, oh, he's very talkative, just like Mandares was, but then something happens where he's quiet for most of the movie. So what the fuck was the point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Here's 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 the other rub, and then we'll segue to our spoiler section. If I were Antonio Banderas, I would be offended and put a hit out on Jacob Savio. <laughs> yeah. Is what I would do. This was a bad <laughs> SNL impersonation of Antonio yeah. Banderas. Yeah, it was. They should have just gotten Spanish Phil Hardman. What came yeah, oh, yes, definitely. They should have bringing it back to missing. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? They should have also gotten Storm Reach. It would have probably been somehow. Used oh, my better. God. I bet she would have kicked Megan Fox's ass. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like it's the youngest expendable. That the youngest. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Young expendables, just like the young Avengers. There you go. 
There you go. Baby, baby expendables. Let's just do an animated movie where they're <laughs> little babies, like Muppet babies. If you if you get Alec Baldwin to voice one of the babies, I'll I'll watch oh, it. Oh God. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay, so I feel like I'm a hard skip. Red is a skip. If EF, are you a? I'm okay. I'm a, officially a skip. Okay, like that's okay. what will be on the record. But just to, but I'll add this. Um, if I, if uh, as a a lazy Sunday, you're just looking for just like, there's nothing on and you just want to watch some like, you know, half decent action movie. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, this, you know, it's not a Saturday night at the cinema, but you know, a Sunday night, a Sunday afternoon at home. Yeah. Go with the, uh, Netflixables, you know, uh, got it. That's a good one. That's the only reason that don't pay to watch this. Don't rent it. If it just happens to be streaming on Netflix or something and you're bored, then watch it. But yeah, officially this is a skip. Yeah. And you can have like your phone out while you have it on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is, is like, I would, I would probably tell our friends and listeners, please don't support this movie because then that'll mean we won't get any more. Uh, but it does look like it's failing at the box office. It made yeah. three million on Friday. Unless that's, this thing that's does abysmal, miraculous international business. Because I know the third was somewhat saved by international, but I don't see that happening. The fact that this can't even beat the Nun Two in its third weekend, and that's not me talking about the Nun Two's quality. I'm just saying it's a front-loaded horror sequel. How the hell can't you beat its third weekend? Yeah, this the, yeah, abysmal is putting it lightly. Holy shit, is that bad? And the- and the nun too stars Storm Reed. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, anyway. All right. So we're gonna segue to our spoiler sections section. If you have not seen Expendables or Expend Four Bowls, then you're gonna want to turn us off in three, <laughs> two before Red uh, loses his goddamn mind. Um, <laughs> three, two, one. Okay. First of all, one. Did anybody buy that Stallone died? Okay. Nope. And you know what? That that shows that this movie doesn't have any balls because you're gonna that's how you cheat us you're gonna be like hey we're gonna kill stallone but psych no we're not so not only do you not have the balls to kill him off and really go we're passing the baton but then you're like oh we could have given you stallone probably the reason half of you are here but we decided not to what a giant fuck you yeah it was it was a it was a giant fuck you in addition to the fact that like they bring him back literally for four minutes and so it's kind of like why do you go to the Expendables movies? You go for Stallone and Statham. And yet this movie gives us just Statham for the majority of it. It felt like a cheat. It felt like uh, they were reneging on a promise. And yeah, I, I I was not here for it. I, I will say, though, I am happy with the supposed death because the dummy, the charred dummy, because the way that they kill off Stallone supposedly early on is that his his helicopter gets you know shot down and he's you know burned to a crisp. And it is the most comical looking I know skeleton, which I'm like, look, I, I don't know anatomy, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have been that burnt just like that quickly. I'm sure we still would have seen something to you the know point what it where- looked like. It looked like somebody went to the Halloween dollar store <laughs> yes. and got 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 a uh, skeleton and then covered it with raw meat and ketchup and dressed it up. It a little was bit of like charcoal. Pathetic. It was <laughs> they kept the, the little ring on. This is where I think I thought this was a parody. <laughs> like EFT because he has the ring on in the goofiest way. We're supposed to feel sad. I'm like, where's the do-? and then, and then when they give him his like funeral or his, his wake at the, the bar that they go to, they fucking bring the chart. Yes. Ring. Yes. And that it's, was it's funny for the stage. wrong reasons. I know. And then oh. also I'm going to say this too. 
um, as bad as the movie was, I didn't think it would get mean spirited because it turns out that the dummy is that poor guy who had taken yes. his ring. And it was like, oh, my God, they're that fucking mean that they <laughs> not only did they beat this guy up and take the ring back, but then they knock him out, put him in the plane and fucking kill him. Which which also still didn't make sense because I thought, well, the twist is going to be that it was just some like old corpse that they had that he had yeah. not somebody new but the two the guy was called jumbo shrimp because he's small but thinks he's big so wait a minute you didn't realize that this corpse was like a, a, probably a foot smaller than stallone would you think his feet got burned off or something well t- to be fair when they approach the ketchup and dead meat dummy it is bent over but at the same time i don't know when you when you incinerate a body does doesn't it shrink Maybe I again. I don't think any of that makes sense. Also, being bent over, a tall, lanky person being bent over still looks tall and lanky compared to a smaller well, it person was a, being bent over. It crashed. The plane crashed. Red. The plane crashed. Yeah. Okay. But, sure. Uh huh. But nonetheless, like, yeah, this just and and again, I got I got flashbacks to the Meg too because isn't there a scene? In the beginning of the Meg, where he's uh, amongst cargo containers beating people up, well, he's amongst cargo containers beating people up in the beginning of this movie as well. And I'm mm-hmm. like, God damn it! It's yeah, like I, I, look, I I love Statham, and I wish that if this became the de facto Statham movie that it did, that it would have been a good one. But we have actually reviewed three Statham movies this year, and I haven't liked any of them, and that's disappointing me because I yeah, really I do, and I haven't seen Operation Fortuna, Fortuna, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> what was the movie he did this year uh, from Operation? Guy wasn't it Operation Rus Guerrero or something? Oh, Rus like Guerrero. That? I don't know. If, uh, Operation Fortuna was the the shadow helmed one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I heard that one's kind of fun. But I mean, Rat the Man is good. From I think oh, it it's was- Operation Fortune Rus de Guerrero. Sorry. Uh, so I was close. <laughs> you were close. But, but we digress. Um, EF, your yeah. spoiler-free thoughts. How? What did you think of the, the plotting, the pacing, the acting, if you can call it that? Well, going back to, the, um, to uh, Stallone's character supposedly dying, I entertained the idea that this was legit. I would say maybe 5% of me actually did go, you know what? He might actually be dead. And the only, and the reason I felt that was because I just got the vibe that maybe Stallone was done with this series anyway, or wanted to like leave it. And I even saw, I didn't see the trailers, but I noticed on the poster, like all the names. And then his was Anne Stallone, which to me tipped me off. Like, okay, he has a smaller role here and there's all these other like younger people. So based on the poster alone, I felt like this must be some kind of like passing the torch type of deal. And it's like, so He's probably just going to show up at the beginning and show up at the end, which is what happened. But I didn't know that they were going to uh, kill him off, uh, so to speak. <laughs> and so when it happened, when the plane crashed, I'm like, okay, you know, he faked his death. But then they show that ridiculous, gooey body. And I went for a second, I went, you know what? They might actually have killed him off. Like there's a 5% part of me goes like this. And, and this might have been their way of telling people like, look, we get it, you know, the marvelization of cinema in the past decade has trained us to never believe that someone is dead in the franchise. Right. And, um, see, uh, fast 10. Um, and it's like, and it's like, but, and I almost felt like maybe the body was a way of telling people like, no, he's dead. Look, look at that ridiculous uh, spirit Halloween body. He's dead. (laughs) You know, everything melted, but that ring. Right. And so, but I still felt like, again, 
the overwhelming feeling was like, no, it's someone else's body. It's, you know, it's uh, a <laughs> part of me is going, it's probably Bruce Willis character's body. It's like still a <laughs> fuck you to him, you know? <laughs> it's not like he's going to remember being in it. And it's like, but, but you know, the thing is, he, um, he, but, but then, you know, speaking of mean spirited jokes, um, yeah, he would have done uh, it too. It, <laughs> speaking of mean, I do it for real. No, uh, speaking of mean spirited <laughs> jokes, yes, the thing with Jumbo Shrimp really kind of took me aback because okay so for those you know we said skip right if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it yet you know here here's what happened right so the beginning of the movie barney uh Bar- uh slice character barney ross which by the way ross it kind of amuses me because the idea that <laughs> that stallone's jewish i guess because the last name of, <laughs> of ross so i'm just thinking of like yeah you know, we're <laughs> doing like you know 13 year old stallone becoming man the eight you know hey, yo, Adrian, how do i finish hey, this passage uh, young <laughs> boys coming up something to nosh maybe <laughs> what do you know of cream soda uh, i'm sorry anyway um the i'm sorry you guys are indulging me big time but uh the uh but okay so he he loses his ring in a bet in a yes. thumb wrestling match with this thumb guy wrestling named, folks. Thumb wrestling, thumb. Right? So he's like, you know, no, no, we're not talking about over the top. We're just talking about thumb wrestling and <laughs> over the thumb, over the thumb. Right. And he's like, so he loses it to this guy named jumbo shrimp. Right. And he, he goes to Statham and he's like, Hey, look, I need you to help me get this ring back. I lost it in a bet. Okay. He says, I lost it in a bet. And then he says, and I tried negotiating to get it back. And they said, no, now, I am a firm believer in don't bet what you can't afford to lose. Okay. Right. Uh, and, and so right there, I'm going, I, I'm not sympathizing with this guy yet. You know what I mean? It's like, I should feel like, yeah, Ross should get his ring back, you know? But to me, I'm just seeing a guy who lost his ring fair and square and should just live and learn. What, what, what Don't bet what you can't afford to lose. Right? Exactly. And then roping so, in your younger friend to fight your, your younger friend for you. to, to, to basically beat this guy up for you so you can get your ring back. And I'm waiting for that moment before the fight scene where it's revealed that Jumbo Shrimp is such a piece of garbage that you don't mind Christmas beating him up. And there you don't isn't mind, one. And, and you don't mind Ross murdering him later. And I'm thinking, okay, where's the part where we find out that he's he's a, a pedophile or or someone who talks during movies, you know, equally heinous crimes, right? Any of those that should be punishable by death. And, <laughs> and, and it's like, it never happens. All I see is what the movie shows me is Jumbo Shrimp. Yeah, he's an asshole. He's someone with asshole friends who would probably like, talk shit about you, call your names at a bar or whatever. But ultimately I don't see evil there. No. I don't see, let's knock this fucking guy out and put him in a plane and have him wake up seconds before he dies. Like that's, that's yeah. straight up murder. It's and so I get evil. it. The expendables so are paid murderers. I get that. And I get that action heroes, especially in the eighties are casual sociopaths. I mean, hell, I go, I go back to the sixties, James Bond making quips after he kills somebody that's casual sociopathic behavior. But yeah. this is like, casual sociopathic behavior from an action hero in its purest form mm. and and for a second i'm going to give uh kurt wimmer uh some defense and some points here based on his past work i feel this stuff is from the kurt wimmer version this is from like the more interesting darker kurt wimmer version because mm. then you guys I, I, uh, cupcake mentioned the other screenwriters the names of those movies that the other screenwriter did are all dtv garbage and i'm like and that's what mostly this film feels like. So I have a feeling I wouldn't be surprised. It helps that I like his other movies. 
that Wimmer's original version was more interesting. And I'm guessing that darker stuff came from his script, but, yeah. and maybe there would have been, maybe his version has jumbo shrimp being a pedophile. You know what I mean? It's like, right. and, and, and making it. So yeah, fuck that guy. But instead we're just watching this guy. Uh, I'll give it this it, again, me trying to find a, a, a positive in this negative. It sort of reminded me this sort of like the way I was taken aback by this, like casual sociopathic, just murderous behavior it kind of reminded me of when i read i don't know if you guys read tarantino's uh adaptation of once upon a time in hollywood the book not yet um, now well that in that one cliff booth is a hardcore sociopath it is like it, it in fact it, it's to the point where i'm going i get that tarantino wrote that movie and he wrote that book and it's basically they're his characters he's wrong Cliff Booth is not the Cliff Booth of the book. Like, as far as I'm concerned, Cliff Booth is the guy that I saw in the movie who is basically a decent dude, you know, like he, but you know, he could fuck you up if you cross him, you know, but otherwise he's a decent guy. Whereas in the book, he's, he's, he's an asshole. Basically. He's like, there's, there's nothing there that convinces me that if, you know, one bad drunken night uh, later, uh, DiCaprio is dead because Cliff Booth killed him. You know what I mean? It's weird. And that's what this felt like. This felt like maybe Tarantino was like, yeah, you got to make the expendables you know, just these hardcore killers and they'll just kill relatively innocent people just to get what they want, you know? So the fact that the movie ends with that explanation of, you know, Statham saying like, oh, so what happened? How did you like fake your death? And the way it's treated where Stallone is like, uh, he's like, oh, well, funny you should ask. Um, I knocked that guy out who I lost the ring to and I put him in the plane and then it cuts back, you know, and you see it happen and then it cuts back to them and they're just like, they're laughing. They're like, yeah. like, oh, there's not oh, even a, like, oh, they're like, oh, like, <laughs> cheers. Another round on me. And it's like, it, what? It's just, yeah. And then it plays and they're like, ha ha ha. And, and the boys are back in town. Like that's plain. And I'm like, and I'm sitting there like springtime for Hitler, like the audience that just finished watching that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's like, they should just, you know, the, the boys are back in town. Over, It's just so cold blooded. You know, the, the Barney kidnapped Jumbo shrimp. You know, he knocked him out and left him limp. <laughs> Jumped out the plane, left Jumbo to die. Now Barney and Lee laugh till they cry. You know, it's just like, the oh, boys, the boys are back in town. Are the boys are back in the families we left in tears. You know I mean? It's just like, <laughs> This is, maybe this is the part that's supposed to play to certain foreign audiences, you know, like like in Russia where they like that cold blooded cute type oh, yes. shit. They're like, yeah, that's what you do. You sue. I don't know why I sound like Arnold, but there you go. That's like <laughs> you suicide these motherfuckers. You know, remember I when know. I was Russian in Red Heat? Ah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, I, all all of it very head scratching. Um, but so, I think the sad thing about this film is that there's so much of this that you know, the intentional comedy doesn't land and then everything else that's not supposed to be funny is unintentionally cringe and ridiculous and laughable. Um, so for example, in the long, long credits, there were apparently dialogue coaches. Okay. But when Tony <laughs> Jaw, when Tony Jaw has his big speech about being Zen and all of this stuff, it's laughable. And some of the things he's saying about like, oh, your peace and your Zen. And I hate to say this, I, I couldn't understand some of the stuff that he was saying, you know? And it's like Eco has such a better handle on English because, you know, he did that Netflix show Woo Assassins or whatever, but they didn't swap them, right? Yeah. It's so, it's so weird. And I, and so I think the reason they didn't is because Eco at least has a presence where he can 
have menacing without really having to do too much. Like he can sneer yeah. as opposed to Tony jaw does have a little bit more of a baby face to him. And the way that Tony jaw delivers that whole Zen speech, he almost does it. Like he's winking at the camera, kind of smiling. So it's like, is he like being like Andy Garcia, where he just thinks this is like, he thinks, Hey, this is a joke. Right. And we're making fun well, of this. To I, me, it came off as creepy actually. So, yeah. I mean, it was just bad. Yes. Like it was completely, it was bad all around. It didn't make any sense. Um, um, yeah, the, the, Tony Jaw. That's probably why I was more upset with Tony Jaw because even though Eco doesn't really get to use his action all that much, because once we get to that fight with Statham, it goes way too quick. He's kind of just disposed of quickly. But at least he has a presence in the movie and is shown to be menacing. Jaw is really criminally underused and yeah. thrown to the wolves without any care from Wa. Um, EF, do you want to talk about Andy Garcia's fantastic <laughs> joke about? Are you talking about the cultural awards? I mean, the cultural awards, the cultural awards, that's something else. The, the genital awards. Yes, the yeah. genital awards line is. I had some other thought in mind, so they got mixed up. Yes. Cultural awards is actually, I'm going to use that from now on. Yeah, that's you actually, know? that people, is what Expendables 4 is. Yeah, yeah, Jumbo Shrimp was a cultural award and he had to be removed. Um, <laughs> yes, no, 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 but, well, first off, I wanted to go back to something you guys were talking about during the non-spoiler section about Andy Garcia, where yeah. I totally agree with you guys. He shows up. When he walks into the first scene, he he should be holding onto a glass of whiskey because it's like he looks like he had like this like almost this Rat Pack kind of like vibe like oh hey we're shooting a movie sure I'll play along you know what I mean like yes. like it, it really like it's he, he just here's the thing some actors they do these movies and it's clear that they don't want to be there they just they need the paycheck right and with Gar the vibe I got from Garcia though was more like like oh yeah why not I'll be one of these silly movies you know what I mean like like yeah I'll come in because. There's, there's a wink to it, you know, he's, yeah. but he's a professional. So he's being just the right amount of serious while knowing that it's silly and kind of giving out that vibe. He's getting, he, he seems like he's getting a kick out of it. It's almost like they yeah. said, like, Oh, a toothpick. You want me to have a toothpick? Sure. Why not? I have a toothpick. I'll be chewing on that. You know? So the whole time he seems to be enjoying himself while playing the role serious. And then once that uh, it's revealed, the big surprise. Oh my God. He's Ocelot. He's the yeah. big bad, you know, yeah. <laughs> the uh, most obvious twist, the most obvious history. twist. And we're just sitting here watching again, going back to the thing about the movie, just it's cynical. And it like, it almost feels like we're just, it thinks we're complete morons and is throwing us shitty CGI and the like laziest plot stuff, like going, they don't care. You know what I mean? It's like, come on, dude, don't do that to us. We anyway, got their money already. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, now I can, I, I, I could, I could pay Stacy for these new shoes. You know, I could give her the, the shoes and the car and, and to keep quiet and not, you know, go on TikTok and reveal that I've been sleeping with her behind my wife's back. Um, but, uh, <laughs> But uh, oh, by the way, the, the social media influencer scene. We'll talk oh, about that. that was but, atrocious. But, oh, um, but, uh, so when Andy Garcia's character, when Marsh, he he's revealed to be the big bad, then it's like he really lets loose, and he's really like really enjoying himself. Like his performance, you could tell he's just like, oh yeah, it's great to be bad. You know, he's just he's playing it out. Like I actually love some of the the deliveries in the scene. Uh, like there's uh, late in the film. He has the uh, the kill switch for the nuclear bomb, right? And he's pretty much like, again, I still don't understand how this is supposed to work. Where it's like, yeah, I'm gonna throw this kill switch into the ocean, so then now the bomb's gonna go off in like three minutes. But somehow I'm gonna survive and 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 cash in on World War Three, you know. But I just loved his delivery where he's like, he throws the switch, the the kill switch, and then he just goes, kill them all. And then they start, I don't know. Yes. I, for a split second, I'm like, this is the movie I want to see. This yes. is the movie. I, in fact, I wish it had just been revealed 
much earlier that he was yeah. the bad guy so he could have much more of this, this type of stuff. I refuse yeah. to believe there's not a single soul watching this. And it immediately when he walked on go, it's him. And especially when the whole, it gets revealed that like they couldn't open up this hidden file on Ocelot until Stallone passed right. because it's some weird old war <laughs> block box bullshit that I don't get. Yes. Uh, I just, all it made me think of was that Simpsons episode where we find out that uh, Grandpa Simpson and Burns were in the war together and they were waiting for the other one to die to get what's in the lockbox. Um, <laughs> but like, you yeah, know, here's the problem with that. So they make it that Stallone alone is like yeah i faked my death because i'm okay I, I, I knew it was him he was ocelot but i didn't have enough you know evidence but one you're putting your own crew in danger and two you're making them all seem like the biggest fucking idiots that you figured this out but they didn't like you state them yeah. just looks like the biggest goof for not putting two and two together ever, like right from the start or anybody else i mean they tried making megan fox smart that she knew that statham would put a tracker on her after they had sex and he'd follow her but again that's just God. it's still it's all stupid bullshit but it doesn't that whole scene was miserable by the way the yeah they, mr and mrs smith i like, let's look, fight or fuck thing i Ugh. They almost had chemistry, and I say almost because I feel like Statham could have chemistry with a plank of wood because he's that charming. But I also just, it was like him and Jessica Alba in that mechanic sequel where it's just like, I don't quite buy you two together. No yeah. matter how hard you're trying, Statham, I just don't think it works. Well, I think what you just said reinforced the fact that, yeah, there was a darker movie, I think, that was originally written because, yeah, that's pretty fucking shallow to risk like 10 lives just so that you can open up a file and figure out <laughs> what you already knew, you know? Yeah. I mean, ugh, what a mess. But also, couldn't he have just been like, hey, yo, Kareem was telling me about the cloud. Can we get a hacker? Let's <laughs> <laughs> just get a hacker to break it through the file. When it's revealed that Garcia is Ocelot, he he uh, yells at Statham and the Expendables and basically calls them genital warts, saying that, like, you know, you're like genital warts, you're... Um, you're always coming back when I don't need you and you're right in the place where I don't want you or whatever. Like that probably the best line of the entire script. But and honestly, if it was anybody else, I would groan at it, but Garcia's delivery is so fucking good. And yeah, like you it would have been so much better because if you would have just revealed it was him from the start, you could have still had Eco as the heavy, which is what you always do in these movies, and had you wouldn't have had to like hold off on those fight sequences with Eco then that get cut short because you could, you know, you wouldn't have been because I guess they were trying to make it seem like he knew who Ocelot he was working with Ocelot but like the only uh, if this movie had balls maybe it would have been like oh shit it was Antonio Banderas or it was Mickey Rourke or hey, you yeah. know Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah, you know what <laughs> I wasn't killed in the first one you son of a bitch I was Ocelot <laughs> the whole time hell yeah you know you would have that, that. would have worked that would have worked but yeah just uh, the film is an absolute hot mess it's it's terrible terrible you guys just mentioned uh right now when you're talking about like the other darker stuff in the film, I'm going with my theory that I think all that darker stuff was Wimmers. And I'm mm -hmm. now going to add in again, I haven't seen the production. I haven't gone to the Wikipedia or anything like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if like they just took a completely different script that Wimmer wrote with like different characters oh, and yeah. just took that and then just retrofitted, retrofitted it. it. Movie. Yeah. And that's why it's neither fish nor fowl because it makes more sense in a non-expendables uh, scenario for the leader to like set up his crew in that way where it's like they could possibly die but I have to fake my own death so then that way I could find out who Ocelot really is stuff like that or that he's also the kind of guy and why would a guy do that to his own crew well this is a guy who put an innocent guy in a plane to die like mm -hmm. like that type of stuff like yeah. again Wimmer wrote Salt and Salt kind of feels like that kind of movie 
I wouldn't be surprised that they took a Kurt Wimmer script and did that, but they didn't do a good enough job. And so that's why it doesn't feel like an Expendables movie. And that's why we're left with all these questions. Like, why would Barney Ross, who we knew from the past three films, to not be that kind of person, all of a sudden be that kind of person? Yeah. yeah. You know? So now I'm trying to, th- I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened. It's just yeah. kind of like, and you know man, what, that, you know? that would also be kind of befitting considering this is supposed to be like eighties, nineties action movies. And a lot of those sequels, like I'm pretty sure every diehard sequel up until the fourth, like two and three were s- separate scripts that they refitted to yeah. be diehard movies. I think that, I mean, I know Beverly Hills cop was originally supposed to be a sliced alone, uh, you know, project, but that got refitted or retrofitted to fit Eddie Murphy. So that's completely in line with some of those series. So yeah, even if it was unintentional, like that could work as a joke. I think just because like you too, I like Wimmer's work. I just, I'm going to believe. And even if evidence comes out on the contrary, I'm going to just say it was a hit out on Wimmer and he did not write what was actually on screen. And the only thing he wrote was a darker, because I could see it working as a dark comedy that, yeah, there's, you look at these being a bunch of assholes who lose a bet and then kill the guy who who's only offense is that he's an asshole. Like they are, but he won fair and square. Like, you know yeah that's but, twisted Bar- barney yeah. ross to me is one of the hedge fund guys from dumb money you know what i mean yeah <laughs> well and and actually to quote the oracle from the matrix movies here's the thing that's going to bake your noodle even more even if this wasn't an expendables movie and was called something else i would still fucking hate this movie yeah. <laughs> so you wouldn't like uh antonio banderas's son uh having a water sports fetish um, first of all, I don't know what Randy Couture's character would be drinking, but there is not enough urine in the world to make a bilge pump uh thing open like that. Okay. <laughs> also, it was very white, so I think he was overhydrated because if you drink too much water, which could be bad for you, it comes out as just very clear and it looked very clear. Yeah. But again, like him pissing on that to open up and then they go crawling through it. Like and he crawls like a weird, like oh my god, he like like an animal, like a, yeah. like Rob you know Schneider what? from the animal. Yeah, definitely like Rob Schneider from the animal, or like <laughs> this is gonna take me back to my high school days, but I knew a couple of uh and I hate to uh generalized anime fans but they were all anime fans and they would do like naruto runs but they would also run like that because like they would see yeah. an animated uh f- films and stuff and i'm like you look fucking stupid <laughs> i know i can actually i can run like that it's my planet of the apes run i'll do it for you when you're down back <laughs> okay down here, uh, i got it now i'm, I'm it's, coming it's a down little scary right actually it's i'm actually scary. coming down right after this no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what you're gonna run up to me up oh, yeah because i go down to oh anyway you're gonna run in my direction you're gonna come to lancaster and you're gonna there you you're go. not coming by car. Apes, you're, gonna, you're gonna run on the highway on the side of the highway like that all right guys any other further thoughts of hate towards this, this movie I just, i'm just so sad for jason statham i mean and even then like the only other complaint i have about this is he does get to be a little bit quippier here than he has been in a lot of other action movies Truth. but then he has to think that barney ross is dead and he's actually like wrestling with this so there's a good chunk of this where he's not really being quippy because he's remorseful especially because he's blaming himself i'm like can i just have fun sarcastic jason statham that we got like how is spy the movie that best utilized his humor i mean i know that makes sense because it's a comedy but even then like that's he is so fucking charming and a lot of these movies like they are fighting against him it seems and i don't get the point but there's also no real payoff to his emotionality over losing Ross. It's just huh. sort of like, oh, okay, now we're now we're finishing the mission. Well, his his payoff was that he was going to sacrifice himself, and he told them, "Don't do what I did and screw up the mission 
to save somebody else. But again, it doesn't really matter True, because but there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no payoff off because that, he doesn't, yeah. he, he gets saved. So again, it doesn't pay off. Like it's a yeah. half-assed, just like the whole movie. It's a half-assed attempt. Quarter ass. Uh, EF. <laughs> I have a few things I'll say just to stretch this past two hours. And, uh, <laughs> but the thing is, you know, I, I was thinking about this, that the weird, you know, the, the, the clash of tones, the two or three different movies, there's actually part of this that does remind me of the canon films of the 1980s, even more than the previous Expendables. And that is that a lot of those canon films had this problem of, of, of the clashing of tones where like, like something like Invasion USA will have a scene where a neighborhood full of innocent white families get bazookaed by Russians on Christmas Eve, right? Yeah. It's like, and then it'll cut to like Chuck Norris and his boyfriend fucking around in the bayou, you know, and some <laughs> like shit, you know? Yeah. And it's like, so if they took the wrong thing from the canon movies this time to put into this one, right? And while we're talking about canon, uh, earlier when Cupcake was going through the list of like the uh, the thieves that call themselves producers, he <laughs> took uh, the money. Um, this was uh, made by Millennium Films, he mentioned. And well, I feel they're today's equivalent to Canon. They, um, they, they kind of have a similar background, the way they came up and everything. And in the same way that Canon had MGM as a distributor, Millennium has Lionsgate, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm making those parallels because I'm going, if, if Millennium Films is Canon, then this is their Superman 4. In that, <laughs> in that both movies were like able to pay the actors, but that's about it. That that's all they could afford. Right. And everything else is just cheap Jack. And, and they're both the fourth in a series and uh, they're the worst of the series, you know, yeah. except this one doesn't have nuclear man. You know, yeah. We have jumbo shrimp. Yeah, it's like and, and, uh, not a great substitute, by the way. Not a great. Well, he, he ended up unfortunately going nuclear, though. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You're right. He had nuclear bomb. There you <laughs> go. Andy there you Garcia go. going nuclear in his performance with nuclear genital warts. Yeah. <laughs> I just like how open he is about that. Yeah. I know. I know. Like genital warts. You know. You know how it is. It's come on, Randy Couture. You know. Come on. <laughs> I mean, that's no, what that's that is on good... your ear, right? That's not a cauliflower ear. <laughs> That's a good, that's an, a very apt parallel, actually. Yeah, I think uh, it's very. It's, it's, uh, it's spot on, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And my other, just like general awards, and my other takeaway is I want to know what the canon, or I guess in this case, MGM version of the Saw franchise would have been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And if I ruled Hollywood, canon would have made uh, three or four life forces. Hell fucking Oh my yeah. God, yes. Please Hell God. yeah. I would have loved that. Uh, all right, so final verdicts. Verdicts. We're going to start with our guest, EF Contentment. Welcome back. What's your final verdict on Expendables for? Uh, well, like I said during the the um, non uh, spoiler conclusion, um, it's like I'm I'm a fan of the series, but this one I was disappointed in. Uh, this is still a skip for me. Uh, I'll call it a light skip, I guess, but uh, because of what I said about like don't pay to see this in a movie theater, don't pay to rent it at home but if it's screening on netflix or hulu or something and you want something to play in the background where you're like on your phone or doing something or you're just bullshitting with your friends and drinking beer or something like why not <laughs> excellent red uh, it is a skip for me if you are at the receptionist office to get your general warts looked at then i guess <laughs> you could watch it um the only way i want a fifth expendables now at this point is that they do just go full parody and the leader is now mcgruber 
Uh, that's the only way to do this but yeah it's a skip for me and uh for me it's a hard skip i cannot stress enough how much i hate this fucking movie and everything about it and sadly some of the people in it so uh, anyway i was just gonna say which means you're only gonna watch it five more times (laughs) (laughs) yes ef contentment you have a wonderful blog as well as a wonderful way with words with your capsule reviews uh we said this before when you were on missing i I just i love your way with words and your wit and your humor um what's going on with your blog or your instagram do you want to plug that to our friends and listeners yeah i i don't uh it's weird like when i listen to your shows or other podcasts and people promote their thing it's like they have legitimate podcasts they have like a uh they put one out every week or every couple of weeks or whatever with me I, I want the listeners to understand it's just a thing i do every once in a while it's not really it, it's it's a technically a podcast uh, slash blog so you could read it if you don't want to listen to it um it's just a thing i do when i feel like it it's really just a hobby uh exiled from contentment is what it's called um and yeah when i uh, i'll write about movies that i watched or screenings that i went to uh but my instagram uh, ef contentment and also my facebook page that i do kind of like uh what justin does with like these capsule reviews or, or not really capsule reviews they, they they're ramblings too that i'm just too lazy to record <laughs> into a podcast is what they are and it's like uh like one guy left a comment on one of my uh reviews saying something to the effect of like you know what what is it with all this personal shit did you like the movie or not i don't want to read all this personal garbage or whatever so uh, I made that my my banner actually on the uh, on, on, I think on <laughs> there Twitter you go. and everyone. But no, 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 no. I think it's great because that way people going in know what to expect. Yeah. I could technically talk about stop making sense. It says, yeah, I watched that, and then I just go into like how much I liked the cherry icy that I was drinking, or how the person that I bumped into annoyed me, or something like that. That's kind of like the style. But yeah. anyway, exiled from contentment or ef contentment on Instagram and Facebook. You can yeah, and I. I love that personal touch because everyone, no matter how hard we try to be objectionable about art, it's, it's a very subjective form and we're going to have our own personal uh, ways of going. And sometimes that can color why we like or dislike a movie. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think the reason I don't hate expendables for as much as just, I had a really shitty day, not like bad, like anything, just a normal shitty day. So it was kind of in a decent headspace for this. Um, so I love that. So fuck that guy. Uh, though I do love yeah. that you, you took that and made it your banner. Cause I, I love, cause it makes it distinctly you. Like exactly. I know when I'm reading an EF contentment review and I love it. And I also like the fact that you, you turned me on to movies I never heard of. What was it? Just one more Saturday night. I might not right. have liked it all that much, but I'm happy that I saw this like eight mid eighties day in the life comedy that Al Franken started and co-wrote. I'm like, how the hell did I never know this? And and if anybody is familiar with cupcakes, neighbor, Randy, yeah. that's basically what you get. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because apparently like, because that's what, because cupcake Similar styles. I thought he was Randy. <laughs> Um, leading to the fantastic moment where you uh, you joked me and was like, Randy, get out here. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> it would be great if like Randy just came out like that scene in Total Recall when Cohagen and and uh, and Quaid like are in the yes. same shot. Like that he set him up. Like, exactly. Be an Indian giver. And they're like smiling <laughs> together. That would have been me and, and Randy. That would have been fantastic. Uh, OK, so uh, again, if we got this wrong. If you have any other tidbits to fill in, or even if you're even if you're that guy that made that comment about the <laughs> and wants to write us, I don't know, go for it. You Bring can it. write us at 
Watch Skip Plus spell out all the words, no punctuation at gmail.com. You can also hit us up, hit us up on our social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you love us, you will certainly love our Podfathers, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Red and I actually just guested on an episode, which should be releasing around the week that we're releasing this. We and Samurai took on River of Death, starring uh, Michael Dudikoff, the duty, as I call him, uh, and Donald Pleasance. It's uh, kind of like a, a bizarro Indiana Jones ripoff with Nazis and potential cannibal tribesmen. It's uh, it, it's something. Okay. Who is it fittingly released by? It is fittingly released by uh, Canon. 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 Yeah, yes. Canon. <laughs> it is, in fact, a Canon film. Um, so if you love that, again, Gentleman's Guide or our other pod, pod, pod father, not a bomb, who we've also mentioned on here. Troy, we love you. Troy uh, also did not like this film as and well. So we are simpatico. I told him via text. I said, bad news. Expendables 4 is bombing, which means you have to cover it on your show. And he said, no way. So, ho- Troy, I know you're oh. listening. You made a commitment to not a bomb. You might not have to do this for years, but you technically had to do this unless because when I did suplex multiplex, I made it that I was going to cover any movie starring a wrestler in it. And then I came to the conclusion, shit, I have to rewatch Leprechaun Origins <laughs> at some point. So what I just did was I canceled the show. So it's either you do this eventually or you cancel the show. <laughs> oh, challenge, challenge. Also, the OGs, the Night of the Living podcast. Also, if you love them, you'll love Wild Dream podcast, Death by DVD, Raiders of the Podcast, Backlook Cinema podcast, The VHS Files, Silva and Gold, Cold Muscle, Feminine Critique, and Married with Clickers. Again, thank you, EF Contentment, for uh, being on the show with us. We will uh, can't wait to have you back. We're gonna we're gonna figure out another movie for you to come back on. <laughs> thank you very much for having me back on, and I will try to. Uh, recommend a better movie to cover <laughs> i mean this was honestly one of my most favorite discussions and it's got that i had more fun with this than the movie which i'm yeah so you know happy what with. that's how i look at these things it's like look worst case scenario it's all about the hang anyway you know yeah exactly and i mean hanging out not hang like uh that movie like with paul, paul dano, dano <laughs> like paul played a guy with a big dick who got hung by the from the rafters or something i don't know yes and red. Well, we hope you are all hung and that you never skip. <laughs> you always listen and you remember that you are the plus. I almost didn't make it through that, but I did. You're all hung. <laughs> Does that include lady boners too? I guess. Yeah, hell, hell yeah. We <laughs> hope you are hung in whatever sense uh, lady boners could be hung. <laughs> uh... Hey, you want to watch some TV or something? Skip it. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. What? Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. I'm disgusted and repulsed and and I can't look away. I need these things. I need these things. Oh no way, no way, Jose. This just in. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Stop it! 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 Stop it!